Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's BK and Ferrario. When Tom Stillman's ownership group took over, I don't think anybody in St. Louis felt that this was a team that was going to spend to the cap every year. I mean, this is a team that offered, I want to say, $110 million for the Blues uh, to the to the ownership group previous. And, you know, everybody saw that as a low ball offer. And I think a lot of people walked away thinking, well, if he does get the team, that probably won't be a group that's going to spend a lot of money. You know, it's gotten to the point now where we don't even question whether the Blues are going to spend to the cap because we know they are. That was Jeremy Rutherford on with us a couple of weeks ago, right after Mike Hoffman was officially announced as uh, the newest member of the St. Louis Blues. Alongside Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It is BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. The Blues this year are expected to spend $89 million in total salaries. The NHL salary cap this season is $81.5 million dollars oh, now breaking the rules the reason they're able to do that is because of the long-term ir especially right now with both uh alex steen and vladimir tarasenko being on that they're not breaking any rules <laughs> they are spending though in terms of cash more than what they are required or even allowed to spend in a typical season and this is not something they have to do Jeremy Rutherford had a fantastic story on this over on The Athletic. And I think we need to spend a little bit of time giving credit where it is due because if we're going to criticize the Cardinals for not spending the way that we want them to, we also need to give a little bit of praise to the Blues for doing things the right way. And I thought there were some great quotes in this story, Alex, that kind of show you how they got to this point, how the Blues became such a model organization. So Tom Stillman was quoted in this story saying, quote, we actually came into this not necessarily planning to spend at the level on player salaries. Our pre-transaction projection, so prior to buying the team, had them spending short of the cap, end quote. Again, that was Tom Stillman to Jeremy Rutherford. Well, Doug Armstrong explained how he got that mindset to shift in Tom Stillman. He said, you can have a good season, maybe two good seasons and be well under the cap, but it's really hard to stay consistent. Once you have good seasons, the players want to be paid. And if you don't want to pay them, you're now moving them for future assets and you're starting over again. So I told Tom, if you can give us the resources, it's up to us to build that team that can stay competitive with those top teams. For Tom, when we talked about that, I think he understood what I tried to show him, how the teams that were having success were spending, 
and he wanted to be a successful franchise. He then added, Doug Armstrong did, in a year with no revenue, there's no way you're going to be able to make this money up. Mike Hoffman is not going to sell more tickets because there are no tickets for the Blues to sell. This is a commitment wanting to win. This is lost money. This is a commitment knowing that you're not going to get it back. Nothing else that I can say will say it better than that end quote. Doug Armstrong is the guy that if you're a Blues fan, you should be thanking because he went to Tom Stillman basically on Blues fans behalf and said, hey, if you give me the the amount of money that the NHL allots, I can build you a winner. I can build you a team that every year will be a contender. But I need that from you. I need that money to be able to spend to allocate on the roster. And if you can do that for me, I'll bring you home a winner. Doug Armstrong made good on it. Tom Stillman made good on his end. He's continued to do so and never more so than going into this pandemic season. Yeah. And I mean, that's just the thing. And look, this is what happened when when Doug Armstrong and Tom Stillman took over. I mean, Doug Armstrong was, if I'm not mistaken, he was a little bit under that Dave Checkett's era. He was as the general manager, president of hockey operations with the Dave Checkett's era that wasn't willing to spend money. Doug Armstrong came from an organization in the Dallas Stars that was always willing to spend money. Look at those teams in the late 90s, early 2000s when they won the Cup. I mean, you're spending money on Brett Hall. You're spending money on Mike Madonna, Marty Turco, all of these star players so that you can keep that window open. And that's what he has done with the St. Louis Blues. And I I will disagree with Doug Armstrong a little bit on that last quote where he said, Mike Hoffman's not going to sell tickets. This year, he's not going to sell tickets. And even if Mike Hoffman's not on this team next year, Mike Hoffman's still selling tickets in the future. You know why? Because Blues fans saw Doug Armstrong make that move. Blues fans saw Tom Stillman say, You know what, Doug? Go get the money for Mike Hoffman. Bring him in. $4 million. I'll pay that because let's go get another cup. Three years from now, Blues fans are going to remember that moment from Doug Armstrong and Tom Stillman. They're going to remember that quote. So Mike Hoffman is going to sell tickets for the Blues. A Kyle Clifford is going to spend or get tickets sold for the St. Louis Blues because of that commitment. And just look around professional sports. The Tampa Bay Rays are a team exactly what Doug Armstrong said. You got players that play for cheap and then they want to be paid. Blake Snell gets paid. Then they move on from him. The New York Islanders and the hockey side of this thing. Look at what they've gone through. They had a a one dimensional player or a one generational player in John Tavares. A top player in the NHL. He needed to get paid. Didn't want to pay him. They didn't want to give him the money. Went to Toronto, got his money. And now look where we've come. There are teams that are like that. But when you're the Blues and you can continue to cycle over with spending money to the cap and building through the draft, you can put yourself a winning product in there year in and year out. And that's what takes you to that next tier of organizations in terms of financially, because they know that there's a commitment to winning year in and year out. Doug Armstrong carries a big stick. And he knows when and how to use it. And that's something that is really important and significant as a fan base. First of all, you got to have the owner that is in place that is willing to spend when necessary. And cares about the team. You got to have that. And that is something that the Blues have. And I do believe that is something, by the way, that the Cardinals have as well. You also need somebody that when that owner starts to get a little lackadaisical or for whatever reasons, takes his foot off the gas just a little bit. You need somebody that is there to say, hey, we need this, and it needs to happen now, and this is the guy to go get, go do it. 
Mike Hoffman was that, right? That is what the Blues needed this year. They needed Tory Krug to yep. be able to replace Petro whenever he walked. And Doug Armstrong had a plan. He showed the plan to Tom Stillman. Stillman bought into it, and they executed the plan correctly. The Cardinals had that guy in Tony LaRussa. Tony LaRusso was the guy that carried the big stick and he was not afraid to use it, whether it be Walt Jockety or going to ownership, whoever it was that needed to hear what his plan was and what he needed. He was willing and able to go to that person, say, this is what we need. Go get it done. And it more often than not got done. Now, baseball has shifted and this is not a shot. I want to be very clear. This is not a shot at Mike Schilt, but the manager doesn't carry that kind of stick anymore in baseball as a whole. And so I wonder who is that guy today that is going to ownership and saying, we need Scott Rowland. We need to bring in Mark McGuire. We need to trade for Jim Edmonds. We need to go get Matt Holiday. Who is that guy today in the Cardinals locker room, suite, whatever it is, owner suite, that is saying to ownership and management, this is what we need and we need to go do it now for this player. I don't know that they have that guy right now that is speaking up like that. Meanwhile, for the for the Blues, they very clearly do. And if you're a Blues fan reading this article, it had to make you thrilled to be able to see such two guys that are on the same track of mind when it comes to what they want for this organization. And it coincides with what the fans want for this organization. You got to have somebody that wants to push the owner in the right direction and doesn't let them just get stale. And I'm thinking of blues history and I'm thinking of, you know, the prior ownership before Bill Lowry, the Ornest, the Ornests, they were willing to spend money. And that was because of a general manager and Ron Curran, who was ready to throw money out to players and bring players in Scott Stevens, you know, paying Brett Hall, bringing in all of these players. You got to have somebody. You have to have somebody between the owner and the coach that is willing to say, look, this is how we win championships. But you have to back it up, too, because if you don't back up, if Doug Armstrong doesn't back up what he tells Tom Stillman, Tom Stillman's going to redirect in another direction and say, well, you know what? You didn't win. We spent a lot of money. It didn't go anywhere. We need to go in another direction. Now, I'm not saying that's the Cardinals because the Cardinals backed it up. They won championship after championship after championship. But I don't know if you have somebody in that in that kind of tier between Bill DeWitt and Mike Schilt that's saying, hey, look, we need to go spend money on. We need to go throw $150 million at George Springer. We need to go do this right now because of the financial circumstances. And look, I don't know what's going on in the books. I don't know what's going on in the conversations. The Cardinals do spend to the top dollar almost every season, it seems. That's the evaluation side of things. But I do think there needs to be a different mindset, kind of like what the Blues have done in terms of, hey, we're good right now. But we can be better, and these guys are going to make us better. Now, let's go out there and make this happen. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It is BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. It's 11 12. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. 65780 is the air comfort service text line to get involved in the show today. Do want to pass along a little bit of news. The Blue Jays have been very busy over the last 12 hours or so. First, they signed a five year, $125 million deal with George Springer. 
Nice deal for the young man. They have now signed Michael Brantley to a three-year contract. So the guy that we were all hoping, hey, maybe he has to settle for a one-year deal. (laughs) Not going to happen. So the market is starting to actually move. We'll get into that a little bit more as we go along today. Hopefully, that means we will have some answers in the not-too-distant future on what the future holds for Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright. We'll get into that more as we go along today. But coming up next, I think speaking of the market moving in baseball, the Boston Red Sox sound like a perfect trade match with the St. Louis Cardinals. But I think this is the kind of deal that we talked about yesterday, that Randy Rose Arena PTSD, that it might affect this. We'll talk about it coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. That's sort of my greatest fear, like like making sure that we give these guys some true chance. And now as we sit here today, how do we create that opportunity moving forward? And you have these guys that really want a chance to play, want at bats. And you know, that is probably going to be the, the, the most important thing we either get right or we can't make another mistake on. That was John Mosaylock over the weekend talking with Danny Mack about how, hey, that Randy Rosarena trade, let's go ahead and not make that type of deal in the future. We got to make sure that we know what we have here internally. I get where he's coming from. I totally understand it and I empathize with his position. I also wonder, as I'm reading last night from a Boston Red Sox reporter about the possibility of an Andrew Benintendi uh, trade, Mm -hmm. whether or not this is the exact kind of deal that will not get done by St. Louis as a result of those comments. So this is from WEEI up in Boston. They say that the asking from at least one of the teams involved in an Andrew Benintendi trade, the asking price from the Red Sox is a young corner outfielder along with a minor league pitcher, not necessarily currently on the 40 man roster. So a young guy that's not the belief is that the Red Sox motivation isn't all that dissimilar to what they saw with some of his moves when he was in Tampa, dealing more experienced players for the upside and contract control of younger players at the same position so basically the Red Sox would like to do what the Cardinals have done in the outfield for years which is recycle an older player that had fine production for a younger player that can give them that same cheaper fine production the Red Sox want to trade Benatendi for Babe Ruth that's what they want okay (laughs) they want to trade Benatendi I would guess for somebody like Tyler O'Neill want to trade Brolio for Lou Brock I get it let's do it so when I see this come out from Boston It sounds like the perfect situation for the Cardinals to take advantage. Like, okay, there's a lefty outfielder that trains here in St. Louis in the offseason that you would imagine would fit in pretty well. He is an obvious platoon candidate with Harrison Bader. The Cardinals have been looking for a player like this, and he's only six and a half million dollars. He's got another year of contract control. He, He makes a lot of sense. But then I hear those comments from Mo. It's like, they're not going to make a trade like this. That guy is, while I like Andrew Benintendi, and I think he would help them improve. He's not making them significantly different next year. We all agree on that, right? He's he's, he's a marginal upgrade. Well, described significantly different. And if they believe that Tyler O'Neill, Lane Thomas, Harrison Bader, Justin Williams, Dylan Carlson... If they believe that all these guys still have untapped potential and they're not sure what they have internally, 
This is exactly the kind of deal they're not going to be making. Whether they should or not doesn't matter. They're not going to because of this trade and how it looms large in their heads right now. Here's my thing, though. I don't think you should be gun shy on this if you have the the correct evaluators and the evaluation opportunities. Because if you truly think that you have all of these players that you just mentioned in the outfield, BK, that are all going to be Tommy Pham, Randy Arozarena, Luke Voigt's in your batting order, then yeah, don't pull the deal off. But it's hard for me to sit here and look at you with a straight face and believe that Justin Williams, Lane Thomas, Tyler O'Neill, Harrison Bader, they're all going to turn into what the Cardinals did with Randy or Rosarena. One of those guys will not. And one of those guys may not be better than what Benetiendi has been. This is why it comes down to an evaluation. I truly believe Benetiendi makes you better if you were able to acquire him. Significantly, no. I agree. But get the right evaluation periods down so you're not gun-shy with this. Look at it and say, okay, really, is Justin Williams going to be this guy that we need? Because if not, go get Benetiendi. But if you're going to do the same at Rosarena, then yeah, stay away from it. This is why it all comes back to evaluating talent for me. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service X line from the 618. BK, stop it. We do not need more outfielders. They don't need more outfielders. They, they need, need better thank outfielders. You. Thank you. I, I do think Benatendi is better than some of the guys that they're potentially counting on going into next season. And so I think he's somebody that makes a lot of sense for them. To your point, Alex, I think the Cardinals are in their own head now. They are. And I think I'm going to make an analogy, and I apologize. You guys know I have some issues with this sometimes. <laughs> so the Cardinals are the guy, gal, whichever one, that has been cheated on. And their significant other, they're trying to make this work, right? They're they're in their own head, and any time their significant other goes out, they are concerned that it's going to happen again. But they want to stick together. Like, they they think this might be the one for them, but they just can't trust their significant other. That's how they are right now with Tyler O'Neill and Harrison Bader and Justin Williams and Lane Thomas. They think that they might be the one. Those guys might be the answers in the outfield. They've also been like cheated on by all of them. At one point in time, the last five years, every one of them, all of them have had some sort of a spell with the Cardinals where it wasn't going well between the two sides. Right. And so they they want to make it work. And they are going to give it one last opportunity this year to make it work. Now, what they should probably do is get a new significant other. And that significant other very well could be Andrew Benintendi. He might be the one that got away eventually. We we might, a year, two years from now, look back on this exact conversation that we're having right now with Ferrario and say, man, if the Cardinals had just traded for Benintendi, a lot of the questions that we're talking about wouldn't have existed anymore in the outfield. Because he's a lefty. That hits righties well. He's a solid defender, perfectly adequate out there. And he very well may be the better player than any of the guys that we just talked about, not named Dylan Carlson. So he's probably the answer for them. But they're still trying to make it work with the one that they're with. And so how do you make that deal when you've still got some questions as to whether or not the the current situation is right or not? And so when it comes to your evaluation, I don't think they've determined yet whether or not these are the guys. I think they still want to know. And if that is the case, you can't go make a deal like this. Does the analysis work that my uh, parents would tell me when I was in high school? If you let them go, they'll come back to you, right? Does that work? 
Like if, if you if they care about you and you let them go, they'll come back. Like if you let Tyler O'Neill go and he cares about you, they'll come back. If you love back. him, let him. Yeah, let does him that fly work? Away. Does that work in this analysis? <laughs> I don't, think it, I don't think it does either. No, look, I, and and I agree. It, guys like Tyler O'Neill, I don't know if it's time to cut that cord yet because you still haven't had the consistency. Like I know I sound like a broken record, but I say this all the time. He's either been injured or he hasn't had the opportunity to be the everyday outfielder because he's been platooned. He's been thrown out there. Other guys have gotten hot. You've never said Tyler O'Neill. You are the guy. Give us what you have. You haven't done that with Lane Thomas, and Lane Thomas has shown potential. The one I'm hard-pressed with is Justin Williams. I mean, this guy hasn't even gotten a sniff yet. Now, this season might be different, but how are we going to know what Justin Williams is when you have Dexter Fowler, Harrison Bader, Dylan Carlson, Lane Thomas, Tyler O'Neill? Oh, and by the way, maybe another outfielder. So that's the part I'm hard-pressed on. Does Justin Williams turn into Randy Rosarena? God, you hope not. I think he would be more of a uh, Luke Voigt. Like, if it were to happen for him, that would be more the Luke Voigt vein because we all kind of had an inclination that Randy Rosarena was going to be good. Whether it be here or elsewhere, we kind of thought, okay, this this kid can hit. We there were there were literal songs on this station about bringing up Randy Rosarena. That was mm-hmm. a thing in in that season when the Cardinals went to the NLCS and he he got like a week of playing time and then they decided we're not playing him anymore. Cardinals fans had a pretty good inclination that he was going to be good. Justin Williams, I don't hear a whole lot of calls for him to get out there and get playing time, right? And it was kind of similar with Luke Voigt. Luke Voigt was unheralded was traded off. There were some that there was certainly a a vocal minority that said, you got to give this guy a chance. But the the majority of people were like, okay, this makes a lot of sense for the Cardinals, given where they were at that point in time. I think that's kind of where Justin Williams is. That being said, if there is something to look at as the hope for the outfield, it's still Dylan Carlson. Mm -hmm. And MLB network right now is going through their list of the top tens at each position, right? And last night they put out the fans top 10 left fielders in the games. They posted this on Twitter. Like, okay, I'm, I'm curious, you know, where, where do the players rank in the fans top 10? First question is who's the left fielder for the Cardinals. So it's Dylan Carlson right now. Okay. Um, number one on their list is Christian Yelich, which makes a lot of sense. Number two is Marcelo Zuna. Ouch. Number three is Randy Rosarena. Ouch. Number 10 is Andrew Benintendi. Hey, Randy A played right field, I thought, in the in the uh, World Series. And didn't he hit DH? Come on now, guys. This is a little ridiculous. <laughs> I'm just telling you. Number two is Ozuna, who played here and is gone. Number three is a Rosarena, who played here and is traded. Next thing number, I was going to say Tommy Pham. Number 10 is Andrew Benintendi, who I would like to see play here. Okay. But he's probably not an option for the Cardinals. Okay. This time next year, do you think Dylan Carlson will be on a list like this? Yes, especially if Benintendi's on it. I, I mean, right? Like, if he's on that list right now and we're sitting here talking about, okay, he's a, a, an above-average left fielder. From what we've been told about Dylan Carlson, the outlook for a guy that could be a 20-25 to 25 home run hitter who's going to be with an OP on-base percentage of around 300, yeah, I, I would say he should be top 10. It just comes down to the pressure that we've talked about. Is this kid going to have too much pressure on him to be in that position next year? I think he has to be a top 10. For the Cardinals' sake, he does. In fact, I think for the Cardinals, like you said there, I think he might need to be top five this year for them to feel good about where their offense is. So who was top five? You told us who one through three was. So one through three, Yelich, Ozuna, Rosarena, as we just mentioned. Number four, four is Eloy Jimenez. Number five is Michael Brantley on this list. 
So you're hoping he basically is a Michael Brantley production from last year with the Houston Astros. Yes. And Michael Brantley, I'll pull up his numbers from what he did a year ago, but he's he's the prototypical 300 hitter that's going to get on base like 36% of the time. He's a tremendous hitter overall. And if you missed the uh, announcement earlier today, he just signed a three-year deal with the Toronto Blue Jays. So last year, 300, 365 on base percentage, 475 slugging percentage. He's over the last four years, basically been an 840 OPS guy. And he's been injured a lot, too. So remember that with Michael Brantley. He has been injured. So if you get healthy with Dylan Carlson, does that seem like a long shot? I don't I don't think it seems like a long shot to be Michael Brantley production for a guy in his second year. It's asking a lot. A 300, 300 hitter for anybody is asking quite a bit. But the Cardinals need it. If they're not going to acquire somebody from the outside to be able to improve this offense, then they need it to come internally. And the most likely guy to take that next step that is currently on the roster is Dylan Carlson. Mm -hmm. So if there's anybody on this team capable of doing that, I think it's him. And the Michael Brantley numbers that I just mentioned is probably what fair or otherwise. And I think it is a little unfair to ask this of him this early that's what they need from Dylan Carlson for this offense to take the next step next year. I think if if you're going if you're looking at it from his second year, first actual full season as a Cardinals everyday outfielder, I think Andrew Benatendi is a perfect comp to what Dylan Carlson should be this season. Brantley might be a little excessive. That might be the third or fourth season as a full-time player. But this year, I would put Ben Attendi as number 10. If Dylan Carlson can be that or better, I think the Cardinals are in great position. That's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll get into some questions and answers. Coming up next, I went through who I believe the top 10 quarterbacks are of the last 20 years. So we've had a lot of announcements over the last couple of days. Drew Brees, Phillip Rivers, both calling it a career. Where do they rank among the 10 best quarterbacks of the last 20 years? I'll give you my list here from some of yours coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. play in the NFL is facing its own football mortality. Breeze, Brady, Rogers, Rivers. It's starting to come to an end for those guys. <laughs> Maybe not Brady. We'll see on him. He seems to be playing forever. That guy's going to play for another 50 years. The list of quarterbacks with the most starts since 2000. Tom Brady has started 299 games since then. He just never is going to end. Breeze retired 286. Rivers has now retired 240. Announced that earlier this morning. Eli gone 234. Peyton gone 233. And Big Ben has 231 starts still waiting on an answer on whether or not he's going to be back going into next year. So I wanted to put this together Ferrario, because I was thinking about this the other day. You know, who are the best quarterbacks of the last 20 years? So basically since 2000, dating back to the start of the Tom Brady era, the start of the Peyton Manning era, who are the best quarterbacks in the league in this span? And I got to be honest, as I was starting to put this thing together, I didn't realize how difficult this this was going <laughs> to be. I, You know, it's going to be super easy because I think the top four are pretty obvious in my mind. I think Brady is clearly the number one quarterback over the last 20 years, and I don't think there's anybody out there that would have any argument with that. Number two for me 
is Peyton Manning, although I can understand if you put Aaron Rodgers there, especially if he wins the Super Bowl this year. I'm going to have Manning two and Rodgers three, but I could understand swapping those. I've got Drew Brees fourth among this list, and I think this is where it starts getting more difficult, is after number four. Brady one, Manning two, Rodgers three, Brees four. I've got the fifth best quarterback of the last 20 years is Kurt Warner. And I promise I'm not just playing to this fan base. I thought you were going to say Pat Mahomes. No, he's on this list, but not that high. Kurt Warner for me is fifth because you've got the MVP. He was, if you think about like singular seasons or moments or teams, you have to immediately think of over the last 20 years, the greatest show on turf when it comes to off prolific offenses of the last 20 years. It's basically... The Peyton Manning Broncos in 2013, the 07 Patriots, greatest show on turf. And I think it was the 2018 Chiefs when Mahomes went for 5,050. Those are kind of the, the offenses that immediately come to mind. So that was, for me, what set Warner above Big Ben. And I've got Ben sixth for me right now. So my top six, and we'll start here, and then I want to talk about kind of the other guys in a moment. My top six, Brady, Manning, Rodgers. Breeze, Warner, Ben. Do you think that is the right order for those six guys in your opinion? Brady, Manning, Rodgers, Breeze, Warner, Ben as the top six quarterbacks of the last 20 years. Yeah, I think that's how I would have it. I mean, like you said, if Rodgers wins the Super Bowl, then I would hear the argument of him being two, Manning being three, but you can go anywhere with that. Breeze is where he... I'm a little surprised no Rivers in that area, but I guess because of the situation when it comes to Super Bowls, he's not up there. Whereas a Kurt Warner not only won the Super Bowl, but he went to another Super Bowl with a different team. We all know with Big Ben, even though the Super Bowl victory was with defense and the running back, but still, you win the Super Bowl. So yeah, I think I would have that exactly where you have it at one through six. The next guy on my list, Philip Rivers, is Philip Rivers. Yeah, I like that there. I've got Rivers next. And then it gets really tough. Like, I think I think those are pretty definitively the top. I'll seven. tell you the part that gets tough. I'm sitting here trying to remember, OK, who who were good quarterbacks from 2000 to 2010? So the guys that I considered after that, because I think that's the seven. And I think for me, all of those guys should be Hall of Famers. Every pro, every player that I just mentioned, Brady, Manning, Rogers, Breeze, Warner, Ben, um, Rivers. Those guys should all be Hall of Famers in my mind. Mm-hmm. The player that everybody's going to immediately come to mind is Eli Manning. Yeah, e- Eli is going to be a Hall of Famer. I do not think he should be a Hall of Famer mm-hmm. personally. I that was more of a team success than it was him. I do not view him as one of the ten best quarterbacks of the last twenty years personally. Okay, so you hate Eli Manning? <laughs> I'm not it? a huge Eli guy. Matt Ryan it's has because put he up... played and beat your boy Brady a couple too many oh, times, yeah. didn't he? Is that no, why you hate him? I forgot. I'm, I'm Brady. <laughs> That's guy why you hate show. him. <laughs> One guy that I had a tough time with is Brett Favre because I'm going back to 2000 and Favre had basically a decade prior to 2000. And that's when most of his best seasons were like the late nineties was kind of prime Brett Favre. He did have a lot of success in the two thousands though. That was the latter half of his career in green Bay. Then you had the year in New York and then the two seasons in Minnesota. I had a tough time with him And then you go into some of the newer guys. So you've got Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes, uh, Tony Romo was somebody that I gave consideration to. Donovan McNabb. Donovan McNabb is somebody that I thought about. Steve McNair was somebody that I thought a little bit about. He he had an MVP in there. Uh, Matt Ryan, Cam Newton, 
Those are the guys that I considered for this spot. Matt Ryan's an interesting one, though. I mean, think about it. He's put together a couple of good regular seasons. He gets them to the Super Bowl. We all know what Won happened to the Super Bowl. as well. Yeah. He's a, t- he's a really tough guy to get a handle on. I think you have to have him in a top 20 list, right? But does he, I mean, he's nowhere near top 10. I mean, we've gotten to, to seven with Phillip Rivers. Yeah. So who's 8, 9, and 10 for you? So 8 for me, I think our, our listeners are probably going to be surprised that I don't have Mahomes here. Yep. Number 8 for me is Russell Wilson. I've got Russell Wilson at number 8. I've got Patrick Mahomes at number 9. Yeah. And I have Brett Favre at number 10. Okay. Favre's achievements as a player overall, I think, put him into yeah. this category. I had Tony Romo as my first one out. I think Romo is a guy that does not get the love that he deserves because he, similar to Philip Rivers, he just didn't win the big game in the postseason. Right. And so that's how he's going to be remembered is that he he was a quote unquote loser. And people don't <laughs> hey, you rem- said it. People don't remember the fact that he had one of the highest fourth quarter quarterback ratings in the history of the sport. Neither here nor there. I do think something that should come in mind as we remember Philip Rivers in his career is why. He struggled in the playoffs because we always talk about, hey, one of the best quarterbacks to never go to a Super Bowl, right? Rivers is right up towards the top of that list. Here's the the quarterbacks, the opposing quarterbacks that um, Rivers faced when he lost in the playoffs. Tom Brady, Tom Brady, Big Ben, Mark Sanchez, (laughs) weird, weird Mark Sanchez. We don't remember that year. Peyton Manning, Tom Brady. I think Mark Sanchez should be in your top 10 then. Of the six times that. Philip Rivers lost in the postseason with the Chargers when he was still kind of in the prime of his career. Three of them were to Tom Brady, who's the greatest player in the history of the sport in my mind. One of those was to Peyton Manning, and another one was to Big Ben. He just happened to fall Mm -hmm. in what was basically the Jordan-era 90s, right? I don't view Charles Barkley as a failure because he couldn't get a title when Jordan was dominating Mm -hmm. the NBA. I don't view those Utah Jazz teams, John Stockton. I, I don't view Carl those Malone, guys no. as failures because they weren't able to get over the top of Michael Jordan. Those guys in the 90s, they all they all are still Hall of Famers. They all still are viewed as all-time greats. Mm-hmm. I think it should be the same for Rivers, for Manning, for the Big Ben, for the guys that were in the AFC in that 15, 17-year span that the Patriots had their dominance because – they beat everybody. Yeah, there was nothing better than what you had in the AFC at the time. They they were they were absolutely dominant at the time, and so I do think that is something to consider as you go into the legacy of Philip Rivers. By the way, six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line. A lot of people saying, uh, "Why am I saying that?" Uh, Drew Brees has retired. Ian Rappaport. Um, over, earlier this morning, when he tweeted about the retirement for Philip Rivers also said uh, Drew Brees was first. Now Philip Rivers adds to this list. Drew Brees is retiring. So that's where that is coming oh, yeah. from. Come on. It, is, we all... it has now been reported multiple times. Drew Brees is expected to retire. Okay, so we have one through 10. So there's a couple of names that I'm curious about where they fall then when it comes to 10 through or 11 through 20 for you. Um, we already mentioned Donovan McNabb, where he falls. Mm-hmm. Cam Newton, I know you mentioned him. There's two other ones, Joe Flacco and Michael Vick. Flacco, get him out of here. Done. No, <laughs> he doesn't even deserve to be discussed. Um, Michael Vick's an interesting one because his his peak performance was unlike anything I had ever seen. Um, it, it Lamar esque, I would even say in some ways uh, it, visually, like yeah. the, the way watching him 
it seemed impossible what I was watching Michael Vick do at the time. And maybe that was just because I was watching him through a kid's eyes. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. But Michael Vick at the time seemed impossible to to have a guy that fast that played that position to do the things that he did. And the ability to throw as hard as he threw. I know Stalter talks about it all the time. I mean, his arm, it was like a rocket when he'd throw the ball. There was something called the Michael Vick experience. That right. was like a, a ride on a um, commercial that, that was because of the way that he played. Yeah, he was invincible mode on Madden at the time. I wouldn't have him in the top 10. I wouldn't even have him as like the, the next up honorable mention. But he's kind of in that Donovan McNabb, Steve McNabb. McNair category for me of guys that will probably not be remembered as good as they were at the time. And it's because the peak was so high, but it was so quick. It burned. It it burned out so quickly. So my top 10 Brady Manning Rogers breeze. And then I've got Warner fifth, big Ben sixth um, rivers, Russ Mahomes and Brett Favre. That's my top 10 list of the best quarterbacks to play over the last 20 years. Six, five, seven, eight, Oh, is the air comfort service tax line. If you think that is a terrible, terrible list, feel free to shred it coming up next. We'll dive into some questions and answers here on one Oh one ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. is the air comfort service tax line for questions and answers let's start with this one from the 618 guys does mizzou have a legitimate chance to make the sweet 16 this year in college basketball alex (laughs) nice win for the tigers last night very nice win but this team has me so nervous every time i watch them play because i don't know who even last night last night they were great but look every time they play i don't know who's going to show up the team that can't hit the basket or the team that's just dominating underneath the hoop with jeremiah tillman Tillman was awesome last night amazing plain and simple when he plays like that then I believe they have a legitimate shot at making a a push for the sweet 16. That's not going to be an easy task, but for me, it all comes down to the shooting percentage. I mean, this team, I mean, we saw it, right? We saw it in their first SEC game. We saw it in their first loss. We saw it a little bit in the bragging rights game. If they start missing that three-point shot... Well, they're going to miss a lot of three-point shots. They stink. And that's they a problem. They stink behind the arc. They love shooting from there, too. Like, they yeah. love dropping those shots. So, again... I love the win last night. I think they have a legitimate shot. But that shooting percentage and, frankly, the field goal or the free throw percentage needs to be much better moving forward. Yeah, the the three-point shots are just not going to go down for them. They're not a good shooting team, and they're never going to be a good shooting team. That It is what it is. Um, what we saw from Jeremiah Tillman last night is a continuation of what he has been for much of this season. He's been awesome. This is this is a new version of him that we hadn't seen previously. I mean, just look at if you want to know the story of Jeremiah Tillman, here's his minutes played in SEC play per game. 27, 28, 29, 33, 32. You look back the last couple of seasons, he was playing like 15 to 20 minutes per game in Mm -hmm. SEC play. And that was because he was fouling out too quickly. He'd get to that third foul in the first half. He'd get to four early in the second half and they'd have to sit him on the bench. He's been good the entire time that he's been at Mizzou. He just hasn't been able to stay on the court. Yeah. And he's finally actually staying on the court. He's not getting into the same foul trouble. And when he does that and they have that inside presence with him, it's a totally different team. So can they make the Sweet 16? Yes, they most certainly can. Is it safe to say that they'll go as far as Jeremiah Tillman takes them? In some ways, yeah. Um, Because there are certain guys that I feel like I know what they're going to give Mizzou every night. I've got a pretty good idea of what... 
Pinson's going to give them. I've got Smith brothers. I have an idea of what they bring every night. I've got a pretty good idea with Drew Smith, what he's going to bring. I know what Kobe Brown's going to be. Tillman and Mark Smith are the two guys that can be X factors for them. And then coming off of the pit uh, off of the bench, I feel the same way about Pickett. If Pickett has a big game, you're not beating Mizzou. That's just, I mean, Illinois fans know that you're, He's the guy that you don't expect anything from offensively. He's a nice glue player off of the bench, but you don't expect anything offensively. And when he plays well, it, that's when they're really tough to beat. So I think they can make the Sweet 16. I do. I think Illinois can make the Sweet 16. Oh, yeah, they the, will. The team that I worry about here locally is SLU, and it's not because of their skill or lack of skill. They've now been off for almost a month. This is starting to get to the point of being a little bit of a concern. Their game uh, tonight has been postponed. It sounds like Travis Ford has a little bit of hope that they're going to be able to play next week. But the last time that SLU played an organized basketball game on the court was December 23rd. Yikes. That's pre-Christmas. Yeah. It's January 20th, man. The the new president just got inaugurated. Like, what's going on here? And the, the worst part about this for SLU is what we saw happen with the Blues post-bubble. I mean, we when we found out that a lot of those guys were dealing with COVID and the players didn't look the same, I'm assuming a lot of these players are dealing with it as well, which is why we've been sitting out for almost a month or over a month. Who knows if these guys are going to be the same, which is going to be very frustrating for fans watching slew because this team had everything it needed to make a sweet 16 or further push six five seven eight oh is the air comfort service text line from the three one four guys did you see paulina gretzky's uh comments earlier today about dustin johnson i was curious if you're buying what she's selling I did see these comments. Uh, Have you seen these comments, I did not. Alex Let's hear it. I'm interested. So Paulina Gretzky was on a podcast talking about her relationship with Dustin Johnson, mm-hmm. the PGA. Luckiest golfer. man in the world. Very, doing very well for himself. So if you don't know, they have been engaged since 2013. Wow. I say engaged. This is a seven-year engagement. Because she said on this podcast, quote, I don't know if people know if me and Dustin are really married or not. So I want to confirm right now we are not married. Paulina Gretzky added, while she's aware of the outside noise, she and Dustin Johnson are enjoying their lives together with their two sons. Quote, I feel like everyone is like, so what is it? Is it him not wanting to be with her or what is it? It's so stupid to me basically claiming she doesn't need to be married to know that Dustin Johnson has her best at heart. Yeah. What, what? Are you buying what she's selling Hell here? Hell yeah, I'm buying what no, she's selling not. here. It's no, Dustin Johnson. You are <laughs> no, with, you're not. You're with Paulina Gretzky. You have two kids. You're related to the great one. What, what, what do you need paperwork saying your marriage for? If they're happy, they're happy. Why are you diving into this, BK? Because if so... Typically, at least from what I understand, the people that are super against marriage, and if you are, like, God bless you, I got no issue, you, you do your thing. The people that are super against marriage, a lot of it has to do with the ring and some of that, that baggage that comes you with it. You think DJ's saving up seven years for a nice ring? No, she has a ring. They're engaged. <laughs> they already did the hard part. So what's the po- So what's the problem then? She's essentially claiming we don't need the label. Okay. Maybe they don't. <laughs> I have a feeling Paulina Gretzky would like the label. Now, how do you know that, BK? She doesn't need the label. Her last name's Gretzky. 65780 is the Air Comfort yeah. Service text oh, come line. Come on. Who are you tied with, me or, B- me or BK? Come on now. I... <laughs> 
You know where that's going to go. If you told your wife or if you are a woman that is listening to the show and your husband proposed to you and for seven years you decided not to get married. So you're proposed to, you are engaged for seven years and you have two children. It's fair to have some questions. What do you, think she's, you, what, you think she's holding that get out of jail free card still? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what's going you know on what? here. Let's tell uh, let's tell Ribs to get the great one on with us and we can ask him these questions. I'm just going to say the Google, the Google, it is it is out there. And if you would like to have some answers to these questions, there might be some on the uh, the Google machine. BK is biz- is Buzz Killington for sports and for love. <laughs> Come on now. From the 314. BK, you hid in a closet. <laughs> That's fair. There's context that is needed for that comment. <laughs> I want to be very clear there. There's a lot of con- t- context that is I've, missing there. We I've, don't have time for the full story. I've never sided with BK, and today, dot, 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 I'm with Alex. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. Buzz Killington in sports and love. What are you doing, I, BK? I have a feeling Paulina Gretzky would like to be married. That's all I'm going to say. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, Corey Hirsch is an NHL analyst for Sportsnet up in Canada. He's a former NHL goalie and goalie coach. He's going to us coming up next to talk about the difference that he saw between the ownership groups. He was here in St. Louis under both of them. We'll talk about that and what he's seen early in the season from Jordan Bennington. Corey Hirsch is going to join us next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Some quick updates out at Blues practice from Lou Korak of NHL.com. According to Lou, Barube believes that both Pareko and Scandella will play tonight against uh, in the game tonight. He has not made a decision on Sammy Blay yet, but it looks like Sammy Blay is going to get in. According to Luke Korak, uh, Clifford, Kyle Clifford, is getting a long session with McEachern, so it sounds like Sammy Blay will take his spot on that fourth line. All of the other projected lines are as expected. Sanford, O'Reilly, Perron, Schwartzchen, Kairou, Hoffman, Thomas, Bozak, same as what we saw in game one of this series. Blues versus Sharks. Pre-game coverage coming up at 7 o'clock right here on your home for the Blues, 101 ESPN. Right now, let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Happy to be joined by Corey Hirsch, NHL analyst for Sportsnet 650, also former NHL goalie and goalie coach. Corey, always appreciate the time, man. How you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks, bud. Thanks for having me on. How's everything going there? Absolutely. We're doing all right. We are. We're doing a OK. So wanted to start with this because we're three games into the NHL season now. And if you look at the numbers, it doesn't look good for um, Jordan Bennington right now. But his play has looked pretty good to, to both myself and Alex Ferrario for sure. What did you expect to see from Bennington early in the season? And if you've watched much of the Blues games, what have you seen from him so far? I haven't been able to watch a lot of the Blues. We're, we're a Canadian division, and it's so the year, the season is just so right. I mean, nobody's playing anybody, so it's like they're all we're all in our own little bubble. But as far as Jordan Bennington goes, um, you know what? It, it's right now. It's it's more about keeping keeping your head above water uh, early because 
if we really look at it, so when was August? The end of July, August was the last time he played a game. So we're talking August, September, October, November, December. We're talking five and a half months since uh, a game for this guy. And then he only played, I think, three or four in the playoffs. So if we look since March, we're talking 10 months, uh, three games, right? So for all of these guys, a lot of these guys. So it's hard. It's even harder for a goalie to get up to speed. Um, no exhibition games. Uh, and it's. I'm seeing it with other guys. I'm seeing it with Thatcher Demko here in Vancouver. Um, I'm seeing it with a lot of goalies. Like it's it's all over the map. Some guys are getting shutouts. Some guys are getting scored on. Um, and it's it's just been nuts. But I, I would. He'll be fine. Uh, long term, he'll be fine, and he's going to be a good goalie. So, Corey, let me ask you this from a goaltender's perspective, because you know Bennington really has never had a a normal off season. I mean, you think about it; he comes into the league in January, plays till the Stanley Cup, shortened off season, comes into camp last year, plays up until March, plays very well up until March, and things kind of fell apart in the bubble because of that pause. Uh, are people underestimating what Bennington can do this season, mostly because he's had a normal off season, a normal training to where he can put everything into, uh, into gear. in once the season started up. Yeah. I, I, I you know, with, with Jordan Bennington, it's um, people are still expecting kind of that guy that, that took him on the run to the playoffs. And, so he he's kind of set the bar really high for himself. Like there is <laughs> right. Trouble, right. So um, the fact of the matter is, is that we're all human and he's not, you know, he, there's, 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 he, he's a great goalie and he's he's, he still is, um, but goalies get hot and cold. They just do players get hot and cold. Right. So you gotta, you gotta cut them some slack at times. So you gotta cut guys uh, some slack at times and um, it, long-term it, it'll be fine. Um but he's there's there's got to be a way to find a motivation for him, right? Like there's and, and and it's not and that's not saying that he doesn't have a motivation, but uh, he was a man on a mission during that whole playoffs and that whole playoff run, right? So um, they have to find a way to kind of light a fire under him again and get a get get a motivation going for him. We're talking with Corey Hirsch, NHL analyst for Sportsnet 650 up in Canada, joining us here on 101 ESPN. Corey, it looks like Jordan Bennington's going to start once again tonight. It'll be his fourth straight start. He's started all of the games so far for the Blues. I would imagine in one of the backs-to-backs that the Blues have coming up Saturday, Sunday, he's probably going to sit one of those, and we'll see Ville Husso. I did want to get your perspective as a former goalie on this schedule how difficult is this going to be? Because it's condensed and these games come at you really quickly. How difficult is this as a goalie to to maintain where you're at and just physically? Uh, you know what? I, I think with with most of the most of the guys around the league are feeling the same thing. You know, they're they're. Um, I'm shocked we haven't seen as many injuries and all that with with hockey. Like when I look at football. Uh, how many injuries started at the start of this year because they didn't have any exhibition games and all that. But mm-hmm. um, these guys are, 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 are typically pretty fit and in great shape. For goalies, um, it's not so much of a fitness issue. It's kind of between the ears. So um, you're going to have to use both guys. Uh, you saw Montreal use Jake Allen and, and Carey Price already. We've seen both guys uh, from, from Vancouver uh, and they're kind of just splitting. 
So I think you're going to see both guys for the first little bit until somebody gets hot, and then and then they'll just run with a guy. Corey, I want to ask you about the divisions because, of course, you have a pulse on what the normal Pacific division looks like where the Blues are playing a majority of those teams, and now Vancouver in this Canadian division, and you've seen the Central division. You kind of have a, your fingers in all of these divisions throughout a normal season. A lot of people were talking about how the West was going to be a pretty easy division, and when you look at what the Canadian division is going through right now, I personally believe that's one of the toughest divisions in hockey. How do you view the the strength in the um, in the difficulty of play when it comes to all of these four divisions this season? Yeah, it's so different. Each division is so different, and each conference is so different. Right? It's like um, I, I'm seeing a race. Like I'm seeing some teams know that it's a, a short season that. Um, that it's a race and it's actually created some playoff style hockey in, in the Canadian division, but we've really seen some sloppy play as well. I haven't seen the blues uh, division yet enough. I've seen the, I watched Pittsburgh, uh, Washington last night and Washington was in complete control of that game. And then all of a sudden Pittsburgh ends up winning it, scoring a bunch of like, it's, it's all over the map right now. So, um, you know, you see teams that, that, that see a legitimate chance at getting into the final four. Uh, because, you know, they only have to go through their division and play nobody else. So it's actually a pretty cool thing to see. Corey, let me get into this with you, too, because uh, Jeremy Rutherford, who I know you're good buddies with, we all love here in St. Louis, he put a piece out on The Athletic yesterday talking about the ownership group of Tom Stillman and the commitment that they've put into making this team a cup contender. I'm curious because if people don't remember, you were the goaltending coach for the Blues for a good amount of time. You saw both sides of the ownership. You went from the, the Dave Checkett's era into the Tom Stillman era. What differences have you seen once Tom Stillman t- took over this Blues team and that you were personally a part of? You know, with Tom Stillman, um, what I saw when he got the team and took it over, I mean, it, it was basically sold for parts um, by the last ownership group. And it was quite, it was actually really kind of sad to see. Like, it was like, how is this organization ever going to recover? But Tom Stillman has brought more of a community atmosphere back, like it is, you know, rather than outside corporation, um, that he cares about the Blues being part of the community of St. Louis and being part of the biz, being owned by part of the business community and a really a real pride of, of you know, everything in and around St. Louis with the Blues. And I think that's been the, the biggest difference. Like, people love the Blues, right? Like, they are diehard um, fans and and I think he's just restored a pride in the St. Louis Blues and of course winning a cup is is the, is the icing on the cake mm-hmm. for that. He's Corey Hirsch, NHL analyst for Sportsnet 650 up in Canada, also former NHL goalie and goalie coach. Corey, we sincerely appreciate the time today, my man. All the best to you and your family. We'll talk with you again soon. Awesome, thanks, bud. Absolutely, that is Corey Hirsch joining us here on 101 ESPN. Are you surprised at all, Ferrario, that we haven't seen? Uh, Ville Uso get a start yet this season? No, I, I'm not. I, I think, frankly, you wouldn't have seen him in that Colorado game if it wasn't for that blowout. This is what I expected with Jordan Bennington's schedule because look at how it worked out. You started the season on a Wednesday, a day off Friday, two days off, you play Monday, day off, play tonight. That's 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 a postseason schedule for a goaltender. That's a normal schedule for a goaltender who's the number one guy. And if I remember correctly, and I said this to Dan, Joe Vitale did the math in the first portion of the season and basically all the way up to Arch or to March, which is about, I think he said it was somewhere between 30 and 45 games 
you're looking, I'm sorry, 30 to 35 games. You're looking at basically a game every other day. That's a schedule that can be managed. Now, the second half of the season from March on, there's a lot of back-to-back games, three games in four days. That's where I expect to see more of Ville Husso. I expect Ville to possibly play Saturday. The Blues give Jordan Bennington three days off and then Bennington back in on Sunday. So, no, I'm not surprised that they haven't gotten him in yet. So the next three weekends, you've got a back-to-back. So Saturday, Sunday this weekend against L.A., Saturday, Sunday next weekend in Anaheim, and then Saturday, Sunday the following weekend, February 6th and 7th against Colorado. So that's three games in the next three weeks for Ville Husso, and that's backup territory. And you think that's it? I think so. Otherwise? you think we see Bennington and every every night I would to what Corey Hirsch just mentioned I mean this is a guy who had an abnormal offseason a longer one you want to get this guy fresh because right by, by now in a normal season BK goalies number one guys have probably played somewhere between 20 and 30 games in an 82 game schedule that's where you start to really get the feel for it and make sure that you're good to go. So I, I would imagine it's going to be somewhere like that. You know, you want to get Ville some ice time. You want to get him out there. But if Bennington's the number one guy and you're playing 56 games, I still expect to see him somewhere between 35 and 40 games. Interesting. I, I thought it was going to be a bigger split than this. Um, I've already been proven wrong so far on that. And I, it, I think you're right. I think it's going to be a little bit less often that we see Ville Husso than I expected. So yeah. Uh, credit to the Blues. They they appear to have seen this correctly because if it is going to be that rare that we see Ville Husso starting, then they absolutely made the right call with Jake Allen. Yeah. I thought that the backup goalie was going to be more important this year, but the way that the schedule shakes out, based on what you said and what Joey Vitale said to you, I, I, I think that's probably about accurate. And, and if you look at some of the other teams, Corey just mentioned Montreal with Jake Allen. The Montreal Canadiens are a different factor because, one, their issues have always been Carey Price has been unable to stay healthy because he plays so many games in a regular season. Vancouver, the team that Corey covers, they have a little bit of a goalie situation now. Who's the number one guy? Blues know who the number one guy is. The teams that know that, they're going to get a majority of the workload because you want to make sure those guys are ready once you get towards the, late, the latter part of the season. That's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. We're going to play a, a game of more likely to happen coming up next. We'll start with this one. More likely to happen for the Cardinals in 2021. Tyler O'Neill hits 30 home runs or Alex Reyes starts 20 games. We'll talk about that coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Brandon Kylie, it is BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Let's play a game of more likely to happen. You throw two scenarios our way. We'll tell you which one is more likely to happen. Let's start with this one, Alex. More likely to happen in 2021 for the Cardinals. Tyler O'Neill hits 30 home runs. Or Alex Reyes starts 20 games for St. Louis. 30 home runs for O'Neill. 20 starts for Alex Reyes. Which one is more likely to happen? Starting off with the old Uncle Charlie there, BK. Nice. Um, I'm going to go Alex Reyes more likely to happen. And here's why. I still don't believe Tyler O'Neill is going to see the proper amount of games to hit 30 home runs. He's not he's not going to play every game for you. It's just simply how it's put because of what um, John Mosellock has said. 
right? We got to see what all of these guys have. Lane Thomas is going to get playing opportunities. Justin Williams is probably going to get playing opportunities. You know, maybe Andrew Benatendi is going to get playing opportunities. If I we see get to you've that corrected point. that name, yeah, too. Yeah, well, people kept calling me out on, on Twitter. And look, I'm sorry that I don't know how to pronounce. It's a good old Italian boy, so I figure I'd add another vowel in there. Um, at least it's not Joe Burrow's situation that I deal with every day. But I apologize, Andrew Benatendi. There you there go. You, go. you got it. Please leave me alone. So it's just not going to be the proper amount of games and opportunities for him to hit 30 home runs unless that DH is there, which we are expecting it to be. Who knows? But I do believe that Alex Reyes is healthy for the first time in a long time. I believe there's a little bit of a hunger for Alex Reyes now that he did this arbitration deal. I expect to see him to go out there and perform in spring training, and I expect him to see a majority of those starts and be a mainstay in that rotation. So I'm going with him. So I would love to go Alex Reyes, and I hope that you're correct on this, by the way. I would love to see Reyes start 20 games this season. But, man, you're the king of butts, aren't you? But. Uh, There we go. Do you know the last time Alex Reyes started 20 games in a year? I get it, BK, but he punched a wall. He dealt with uh, injuries. Like, what do you want to give the guy a break? That's kind of the issue here. (laughs) The last time that Alex Reyes started at least 20 games in any individual season was 2015. 2015. Hold on, let me count that. Just one, two, three, five years. Think about what was going on in your life in 2015. I wasn't married yet. I graduated college in 2015. I wasn't married yet. The St. Louis Cardinals in 2015 were managed by Mike Matheny. They had Matt Holliday patrolling left field every day. Johnny Peralta was your everyday shortstop for that team. Mark Reynolds was playing first first base. They had a young man by the name of Matt Adams who was kind of starting his Stud. ascent. John Lackey was the guy that they traded for. <laughs> There's been a lot of changes for the Cardinals since the last time that Reyes started at least 20 games okay. in any individual season. But he's matured, BK. He's five years older and five years smarter. I hope it works out for him, and I am his biggest advocate, and that's the one that I'm rooting for. But Tyler O'Neill is more likely to hit 30 home runs than Alex Reyes is to start 20 games in this season when Reyes is coming back from a shortened season when he didn't have a whole lot of innings to throw. I think he'll start some games. 20 seems like a lot for me. I do think Tyler O'Neill is going to get every opportunity to show himself to be a real legitimate power threat in the lineup. I think he's more likely to hit 30 homers than Reyes is to start. Ladies and gentlemen. Buzz Killington. 6578. I just said that Tyler O'Neill might hit 30 homers. That'd be a good thing for this Cardinals team. I actually think it's more important that O'Neill hits 30 homers than the Cardinals get 20 starts See out of race. You did there? That was a nice spin. You like that? That was a nice spin, BK. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for more likely to happen. Let's go to another Cardinals one. More likely that the Cardinals sign Yachty and Wayno. Or that the Cardinals sign Yachty, do not sign Yachty or Wayno. So bring back both or none of them or bring back neither. Which one is more likely in your opinion? Boy, I I hate to say this, but I'm still on the train of more likely to happen of neither being here. And I'm only going off of the comments that have been made from Bill DeWitt when he called it a substantial amount of money towards players. The offer that accordingly to all of the front office members that it's been out there for these players. I don't see the Cardinals budging in terms of saying, okay, we'll give you a better deal. I think it's this deal or don't come back. Wayno, in my opinion, he'd love to come back, but I'm sure he's probably fine with retirement. And we've heard Yachty say that. I don't see it being a possibility of getting both of those guys signed. So I'm going to say neither. 
You guys all me always call me Buzz know. Killington. That's me. Call me Bcater. Of of sports and love, by the way. We we've established that today. I'm going optimistic. All right. Be optimistic. Whoa. Did that one stick? No. That, okay. And you're careful with that too, because you might uh, throw something else out there. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna say Yachty and Wayno are both more likely to be back than gone. I don't. Th- I, I still remain on Team Yachty will play for the Cardinals in 2021. I think he's gonna be back next season, and so it, it would be foolhardy for me to say that neither of them will be back when I truly do sincerely believe that Yachty will be back. So mm-hmm. I'm going to say that both of them are more likely to be back than gone. Did you just call me foolhardy? I did. Okay. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line for more likely to happen. More likely to happen here. Tom Brady wins at least two more Super Bowls or Josh Allen finishes with more titles than Patrick Mahomes. Tom Brady has at least two more Super Bowls in him. This is or Josh Allen wins more Super Bowls than Patrick Mahomes. This is how you get to compliment both of your favorite quarterbacks in the NFL. How are you doing this to me, BK? Um, Multiple titles for Brady or more titles for Allen than Mahomes. It's a tough one. I'm sorry, Donnie Fandango, because you know I love Josh Allen, uh, and I think he's going to take down Patrick Mahomes uh-huh. this weekend. Uh, BK scared of him. Mm-hmm. I'm going to no. go. What? No, yeah, you are. <laughs> Absolutely I'm go- not. You said it. You said it. I'm going Brady here. Uh, look, I don't think it's possible that Brady gets two more titles, mostly because I don't know if he plays two more seasons. Well, two more seasons. I guess that would be this season and next season, but I don't know if he's going to win a Super Bowl, both of those, and I don't know if he's playing beyond that. But I also don't see Josh Allen winning more titles than Patrick Mahomes, mostly because of that roster. In fact, I told you yesterday in a commercial break, and I'm the one that was on the Kansas City Chiefs train. This team, I know they keep saying it's impossible to do what the Patriots have done, but it sure seems like the Chiefs are set up for that if they can keep this roster intact. Um, So I'm going Brady here. I don't like it because I know he's your guy. But technically, you set me up for failure on this one, so I'm going to go Brady. It's clearly Tom Brady. Oh, here we go. It's clearly Tom Brady. Josh Allen, there's zero chance, zero chance he finishes his career with more Super Bowl wins than Patrick Mahomes says. No chance whatsoever. I'm more than happy to go out on that limb. (laughs) Would it surprise anybody if Tom Brady wins the next two Super Bowls? Like, they're literally two wins away right now from winning one this year. But what is that? You're basically asking for one more season when he has a great supporting cast down in Tampa Bay. But what does that that team look like next year in Tampa? Are there contract situations? Like, does he have the same roster that he did the year prior? More or less. Okay. Yeah. I mean, they're they're really young. That's the, I think that's one of the reasons why he went down there is because the roster talent is... It's really good. Like Evans and Godwin, they're back. Ronald Jones Jr.'s back. That offensive line, yeah. They're losing Fournette. He's he's expected to be gone. Uh, but he is the MVP of that team. That, that's not a big loss for them. That's Jeez. not something that I'm going to... Oh, yeah, he's a loser. I forgot you said that. That's right. He's a losing player. <laughs> I. It's pretty clearly Tom Brady for me. I think he... I actually would not be surprised if he wins the next two Super Bowls. I yeah. hope he doesn't. I'm rooting for that not to happen, just, obviously. just scared of Josh Allen. But it wouldn't surprise me at all. All right. Next one up. Let's go St. Louis Blues style, more likely to happen here. 65780 is their comfort service, service tax line for more likely to happen. More likely that Jordan Cairo scores at least 25 goals next year. So 25 goals for Cairo, not this season, but next year, because that'd okay. be really lofty given the short schedule. Or that Justin Falk scores at least 15 goals this year. Cairo 25 next year or wow. Falk 15 this year. He's already at two, Justin Falk is. 
I'm going to go with Jordan Cairo here. I think Justin Falk could get close to that. And they talked about it yesterday on the fast lane. Curbs mentioned it on the broadcast. People don't forget. People forget he's got 92 goals in his career. Justin Falk. Like, it's incredible. I think he'll get close. But Jordan Cairo, here's the thing. If he plays at this level, he could be looking at top six winger minutes next season. Right now, you're going to have Tarasenko back. You hope next season. You don't know what's going to happen with the Schwartz and Hoffman situation. But think about that. I mean, Robert Thomas is going to be playing top six minutes. Braden Shen, top six minutes. Ryan O'Reilly, Tarasenko. That's four guys with two winger spots. And if Kairou continues to improve the way that he's been playing, I think he's going to be a top six winger for this team. So I'm going to go more likely that Kairou is going to have 25 next year. I'm with you on this one. The thing that would concern me about taking the Justin Falk side of the uh, of this more likely to happen is that he's not on the power play. If he was on the power play, I actually think it's pretty likely that he would be able to get to 15. He might be next year, though. I mean, th- you don't have Tyler. Justin Falk. Talking oh, about I'm sorry. Justin I'm Falk th- right talking now. Kyrou there, yeah. Falk getting to 15 this year would be possible if he was on the power play, in my mm-hmm. opinion. Him not being on that unit on either of the power play units, though, makes it really difficult. 15 five-on-five on five goals is tough to come by in any year, much less yeah. in a pandemic-shortened 56-game schedule. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go Jordan Kyrou. And I think scoring 25 goals for him next year is in the realm of possibilities. That's like a 10 percentile outcome for him. It's unlikely to happen, but I think it's at least in play for him to score 25 goals. I got one for you, BK, before we wrap up. I love it. From the uh, 636 that sent it to us, more likely to happen. Paulina Gretzky and Dustin Johnson get married or Dustin Johnson wins another major. (laughs) We all know the answer to that one. Paulina and Dustin get married. No. <laughs> 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line for more likely to happen. I like this one from the 314. Guys, more likely to happen. The Cardinals trade for Nolan Arenado or the Cardinals sign a shortstop next offseason. You put me in prime real estate, BK. Let's talk about this coming up next. I've got a hypothetical scenario for you guys. And like I said, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Chime in there. Also on my Twitter account at BK Sports Talk. I've got a poll up right now. If John Mosellock came to you and said, I've got $150 million to spend over the next five years, and you can give it to any one of these four players, any one of these four players, $150 million for the next five years, you're giving them $30 million per season. Are you going with Nolan Arenado, Trevor Story, Carlos Correa, or Javi Baez? Five years, $30 million per season to either Arenado, Story, Correa, or Baez, who would you add to the Cardinals roster? We're going to talk about that, give you our answers, hear from some of yours coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. So we've got a hypothetical scenario for you. I've got this on my Twitter account at BK Sports Talk. You can also vote on it. I just retweeted it from the station account at 101 ESPN. John Mosellock comes to you and he says, hey, Alex. Okay. I've got $150 million to spend. We're going to do it over the next five years. I'd like to pay off my house if that's possible. (laughs) Or buy a few. Or buy buy me a couple if you're cool with that. So $150 million spent over the next five years. $30 million per season. You can have any of these four players. We can acquire any of them. Who do you want? You can have Nolan Arenado, Trevor Story, so either of the two left-side infielders for the Rockies. You could have Carlos Correa or Javi Baez. So Story, Correa, Baez, they're all free agents after this upcoming season. They're all shortstops. You would move Paul DeYoung 
you would think it's either third or second wherever he feels more comfortable. Nolan Arenado is, of course, the heartthrob of St. Louis. And we've been talking about this guy for seemingly the last decade. 95% baby. As a potential trade candidate for the Cardinals. Somebody asked me on the text line, hey, guys, why didn't you include Corey Seager in this as one of the options? I'm just going to be really, really, really surprised if the Dodgers allow him to walk. They've got all of the money. They didn't end up uh, going out and getting DJ LeMahieu. I'll be very surprised if Corey Seager is not a long-term Dodger. Could be wrong on that, but that's my assumption. So I've got this on Twitter at BK Sports Talk. I'm curious, Ferrario, if you were asked that question by John Mosellock, who would you go with? Arenado, Story, Correa, or Baez? Now, do you want just the one that I'd want, or do we only put these in order for you? Let's go ahead and do them in order. Okay, here's how I would do this in order. Trevor Story would be my number one option because Trevor Story is everything that's missing from this Cardinals lineup. Now, I know he plays shortstop, and you already have a shortstop, but I think in that scenario, Paul DeYoung would be willing to move over to third base where he has played in the past. Story's my number one. My number two option is Nolan Arenado and exactly what I just said. Paul DeYoung's your shortstop. Now, is he going to be a Trevor Story shortstop? No, not a chance. But I think he's very capable. And if you put a Nolan Arenado at third base, a couple things happen. You're incredible defensively. And on top of that, Paul DeYoung doesn't have to be your cleanup hitter. Paul DeYoung can be a five or six hole hitter. And I think that's right in prime real estate for Paul DeYoung to be successful. After Arenado, I'd put Javier Baez because I like the way that Baez plays and Baez can play short and third base. I put Carlos Correa last in my opinion on those mostly because he is just a shortstop for you. And I need somebody who could do short or third base if Paul DeYoung's unwilling to move. So that's kind of how I would label them. For so you've me. got story one, Arenado two, Baez three, Correa four. Yeah. I would flip Baez and Correa, but otherwise agree with your list. Mm-hmm. Story one for me, Arenado two, Correa three, and Baez for the thing that would concern me about Javi Baez is his profile as a hitter right now. He does not walk. He does not take any walks whatsoever, but he doesn't have Jeff Albert as his hitting coach. That's a good point. He also strikes out a ton. Him and Trevor story both strike out a lot. Story though, basically doubles the walk rate of Javi Baez. Baez is a really spectacular player and I would love watching him in a Cardinals uniform and God defensively. He is so much fun to watch. But I, I do have some concerns, especially paying that much money for a guy. $30 million, let's be honest, probably a little bit too much compared to what he's going to get on the open market. But Javi Baez, special player, I think he's a little bit below these other guys in terms of what they bring to the table. Carlos Correa is a really interesting one. And if he didn't have the back issues, mm-hmm. yeah, Mrs. Lincoln, other than that, how was the play? <laughs> um, if he didn't have the back issues, I think we'd be talking a lot more seriously about what he could bring because he's probably the best hitter of this bunch, but he has back issues. Well, and the back issues and the trash can issues. Maybe we should yeah. be talking about those as well. I'm less concerned about that and much more concerned about the back for what it's worth. So it comes down for me to the two guys that we've talked so much about, both of whom are currently with the Colorado Rockies. I do wonder which of these guys make makes more sense for the Cardinals. I th- think you can make a case that the answer is Trevor Story. But at the end of the day, this is why we talk so much about these two, Alex, mm-hmm. is because even when you're given the option of who are the guys that you most want, it comes back to the two that we've talked the most about all along. And I put this up on Twitter, and we are now at about 3,000 votes from Cardinals fans. Who would you want of these four? And I got to be honest, I'm a little surprised by how much of a gap there is. 51% of the responses are Nolan Arenado. 
51% of the 3,000 votes. So everyone's on the 95% train. 18% for Trevor Story, 18% for Carlos Correa, and 12% for Javi Baez. That's the breakdown. 51 for Nolan Arenado, 18 for each Trevor Story and Carlos Correa, and then 13 for Javi Baez. So as you're looking to this offseason, if John Mosellock had an option of being able to trade for Nolan Arenado now, or sign one of those shortstop free agents next offseason, I think based on those results, and correct me if you disagree with this, Alex, I think that most Cardinals fans would take trade for Trevor or for Nolan Arenado right now because mm-hmm. you've got him for the next six years. And He's you know, got yeah. five years after this upcoming season, and maybe you're able to trade them, whether it be Dexter Fowler or Matt Carpenter, however you want to do it to make the cash a little bit more neutral. I think that for me would be the route that I would like to see the Cardinals go still, even after looking at all of these other options out there. I I think so. And I believe the 51% or so that are voting for Nolan Arenado is because he is the, he is the ideal Cardinal player. Like everything about Nolan Arenado, we've been saying it from day one where he wants to go to a team that is winning championships. And right now he's not getting that in Colorado. Like I told you in break, it screams Scott Rowland to me, a disgruntled player in an organization that wants to go somewhere and have championship aspirations. And when he goes there, he is beloved, a defensive third baseman who can hit the ball. That's everything about Arenado. And look, I know everyone, well, I'm worried about the splits in Colorado. We've talked about this, yeah. right? Like I don't don't think that's going to be as much of an issue too for what it's worth i up until about the last calendar year i've reversed my thoughts on it because mike petriello changed that for us when you think about what actually goes into that consideration i'm not as concerned about that because i think what nolan arenado brings is the threat in the middle of the lineup more than anything that causes protection and gives your team an opportunity so arenado is a guarantee trevor story is still a okay what if when it comes to free agency. So that's why Arenado, I'd love story. If I had the money, I'd go story right now. But Arenado is a certain piece for me right now. And he fills the biggest void in your lineup, which is third base and a middle of the order bat. He's everything that the Cardinals need right now. And this is one thing that I did want to ask you about, Alex. If the Cardinals added, and again, this is all hypothetical. I, I don't We're think they're going to do this, but let's let's go down this path for a moment, right? right? If the Cardinals added to this current roster, if this is the only moves that they made, they brought back Yadier Molina and they traded Matt Carpenter and prospects, whoever the prospects would be, Matt Carpenter and prospects for Nolan Arenado. Is this team a contender going into this upcoming season? Contender meaning can we already take think on the they Dodgers and the Padres win the NL Central as mm-hmm. is even without adding any of these pieces. So if they bring back Yachty and they trade Carpenter plus prospects for Arenado, is this team a contender in the National League playoffs going into next year? In your opinion, I, I believe so. And, and frankly, it's it's it's. You're adding to your weakness, but you're also utilizing your strength. Meaning you're adding to the weakness in the batting order and at third base but you're utilizing your strength of pitching by bringing back Yachty or Molina. And I know I've been saying that I don't get the warm and fuzzies with Yachty coming back, but he, you need him. And I'm back. guarantee-ing it in this yeah, scenario. Yeah, if we're guaranteeing in this scenario, I do. I don't know if the, look, this doesn't make you better than the Padres or the Dodgers. I don't care what anybody says. Those two are the, the top teams right now in all of baseball. 
But I think it puts you up there with the Mets. I think it puts you up there with the Atlanta Braves, puts you up there with the Washington Nationals. It puts you up there with all of these other teams that are kind of in that second tier of National League. So, yeah, this makes you a contender to get to the National League Championship Series and possibly beyond. Suddenly, if you look at your top five in the order and it's Edmund, Carlson, Goldie, Arenado, and DeYoung, how good do you feel about that? That can compete with other teams across the National League. And then let's just say your six holes of Tyler O'Neill. You're looking at a Yadier Molina in the seven hole. You're looking at insert person here at the eight hole, and you wrap things up with a Harrison Bader. I mean, technically, that is... Dexter Fowler might be your six or seven hole hitter in that lineup. Yeah, I mean, if that's what we're going with, that batting order right there, in my opinion, can compete with a lot of these teams. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service X line from the 314. Guys, please, please just quit. Arenado is not happening, and no, this does not make them a contender. So here's the thing. Is Arenado going to happen? I don't know. I'm probably not. I don't think that it is fair to dismiss it outright because eventually the Cardinals are going to do something, whether it be this offseason or next. There's now pressure on the Cardinals, and they can sense it. You could feel it over the weekend with the winter warm-up. They know that Cardinals fans are frustrated. They're, they're not naive to the fact that you uh, don't like watching all of these other teams across baseball, including the Blue Jays today signing George Springer, adding to their roster. And then seeing the stat that there is literally no other team in all of baseball other than the Cardinals that has not yet added a player to its 40 man roster. Let me say that again. No other team in all of baseball other than the Cardinals has so far this offseason not added a player to the 40 man roster. The Cardinals are the only team to not do that. Mm -hmm. So when you're looking forward, they're going to sign somebody. They're going to add somebody to the 40-man roster. That's going to happen this offseason. And then next offseason, they've got $60 million coming off of the books. They're going to do something, and it needs to be something of significance, and they know that. So whether it be Arenado or one of the shortstops that's hitting the market or somebody that we're not bringing up right now, they're going to do that Mm -hmm. because they know they have to because what they have right now is not good enough, and they know it. They know it. These are smart baseball people. we got to give them a little bit of credit. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It is BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We're going to dive into the junk drawer coming up next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Let's dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. Alex Ferrario, what do you have for us today, my All man? All right, BK, it's time to talk about one of your favorite people on this planet. Okay. Who do you think I'm talking about? Probably Tom Brady. Nope. Josh Allen. Nope. Patrick Mahomes. LeBron James, oh, ladies okay. and gentlemen. Right up there. Not a good the right thing, path. though. So LeBron, of course, went to Twitter last night and posted a video after their victory. And he was singing the lyrics to a song called For the Night by Pop Smoke. I have no idea. I've never heard the song before. Sure, he's a wonderful man. Yeah, I'm sure he's a wonderful man. has great talent. Here's the problem, though. Apparently, LeBron James, while singing in his video that he posted on social media, was singing the incorrect lyrics of the song. That's kind of something LeBron does a lot. And Twitter had a field day with this. Let 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 me read to you some of the comments on this one. My guy is arguably the most extensive basketball knowledge ever, but somehow can't get the lyrics right. What in the trade off is that? LMAO. He knows he can listen to the back before he posts this, right? He recorded this, watched it, then posted, please forgive me. 
This is incredible. And they are having. So, what came to my mind, though, BK, with this, and look, I love bashing on LeBron James. Do you know people that may not know the lyrics to yeah, a song? My fiance. That could she just sings the same seven lyrics a hundred <laughs> times in one. The, 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 it's so frustrating. I'm, I'm going to vent right now. <laughs> I love this. So. We all know somebody. There's somebody that immediately yep. pops into your mind that does the exact same thing that my fiance does. And I'm sure I do. I I know I do things that bother her the same way this does. With oh, me. that's that's a future marriage right there. So she, she will hear a song. It'll be like two o'clock. She'll hear a verse of a song the rest of that evening. It's the same five words every like seven minutes for the because rest of the night. She doesn't know anything else. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it never fails that it's the same part of the same song the rest of the night. It's amazing See, the I, way that it works. I have, an, I have an uncle who, when he sings songs, all he does is he, he'll start the, the lyrics and then he'll mumble the rest of the way. So it's like, I can feel it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like the Earth, Wind, and Fire September song. <laughs> Coming out. <laughs> like, no, d- no. Look up the lyrics before you continue to mumble the words. But I loved it. The, the, the replies on the tweets were the best part of the LeBron James. When somebody said he knows he can read the back of for the lyrics before he posts this, right? It was incredible. LeBron James, BK loves you, but you got to start learning the lyrics to some songs. It's amazing, too, because he's the guy that you know that's in your crew that always has all of the newest music, right? They'll listen to something, and you'll be in the car with them, and you're like, who is this? They'll be like, oh, it's the new so-and-so, right? Michael Michael Jordan one. Oh, yeah, he just sent me the new album before it was released. Yeah, it's like, you know, it's it's so-and-so. No, I've, first of all, never heard of that gentleman. Second of all, never heard of this song before. It's it's on the radio or something? He's like, no, it's brand new just got the lp yesterday it's like okay lebron has all of that stuff but for some reason he does this is not the first time that lebron has done this where he's got a video of him like head bopping to yeah. whatever the new song he never knows the words never. the sad part is he's never probably got the, the, the artist on speed dial we can call up and talk to but hey when you feel it when the mood's right bk you just gotta post a video while you're singing right it I, I suppose. Apparently, that's his go-to. So, I don't know if you've heard about this, Ferrario. LeBron probably doesn't need this. You and I would both love to have this. So, probably. the Mega Millions, the Powerball, these things are getting up there in terms of the amount of money that is now available for the prize pool. The Today Show ran a story yesterday that indicated that it's not all it's cracked up to be to win the lottery. Mm-hmm. People may think that their problems will vanish if they strike it rich, but some experts say that there are blessings that could become a curse. This gentleman is a wealth psychologist who counsels millionaires about their personal lives. His clients also include former lottery winners. According to this story, quote, winning the Mega Millions or Powerball lottery might actually make you miserable. I'm willing I to saw take this my article. Chances. Actually, Mike Ryder and I were talking about this yesterday, BK. I read this oh. article. Oh, no. What? what happened? Pop Smoke is dead. Oh, no. 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 <laughs> Yikes. Um, well, I just need to. Um, I think. Uh, that's okay. not great. That's not great. Not great. Well, okay. Technically, so. it's, it's not great for LeBron either. He didn't know the lyrics to the to the man's song, yeah. correct? Yeah, that's correct. Okay, let's okay. move on from this Moving really forward. fast. Take two. Didn't. So winning the lottery. 
I, I don't remember who said this famously. Money might not make you happy, but I've never seen anybody on the jet ski that is not smiling. It was a comedian who said that. Let me tell you, I'd be out on a jet ski. I would. You guys should hope that I win the lottery because I will no longer be doing this radio show. Uh, would you? Would you? <laughs> would you pay someone to change your tire for you? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Are you kidding me? You think I'm ever changing any? We had somebody. So we're looking for a house right now. We're in the the beginning stages of the house buying process, right? So we were talking to our realtor the other night, and she asked us like, "Hey, are you guys looking uh, looking for a fixer upper? Are you looking for something that has kind of already been recently renovated? What are you specifically looking for?" And I told her, I said, "Excuse me." Don't know if you've ever heard my radio show. <laughs> Fixer Upper will not be on our list. Humble brag for BK. Don't know no. if you ever heard me on the radio. No. Okay, that <laughs> sounded much worse. Um, I will not be fixing anything. I was like, if you need a light to be screwed in, I'll go ahead and call the electrician. Oh my God. <laughs> BK, you can't screw in a light bulb? I'm sure I could figure it out. <laughs> Gee. She really asked me, do you guys think that you could, like, get some new flooring? No. (laughs) I could call somebody to do it. How much does that cost? You better believe I'm not going to be doing that on my own. Absolutely not. (laughs) From the 573, BK would have a mechanic on staff. You bet your, you know what I would. I'd have a mechanic, a plumber. So uh, I'd have everything ready. An electrician. I'm not going to have any issues uh, if I win the lottery. I'm curious. What are the what are the, the curses that come with winning? The, uh, the only thing I could think of is the fact that you have everyone calling you for money. Like, that's the only thing that could come to mind with being a curse that comes into it. Well, apparently there are some issues when it comes to relationships over money. Who gets what percentage of that money? Um, what do you do in terms of your career? Do you continue going to work every day? Hell do you yeah. still have the same value in your work that you previously did? Uh, who are your friends? Some of them are going to now be friends with you for the money. What if you didn't have friends to begin with? Then you, you know. You expect to have that money make you feel happy. You go out and do things that you think should make you happy, and it doesn't. All of these things sound great to me. BK <laughs> would be on Angie's list 24-7. Frankly, I think he probably already is. He's got a subscription to that puppy where it's just okay who can i call to go get us some food okay good got that down how many bks does it take to change a light bulb apparently none because he can't more than one i can promise (laughs) you that much Uh, also can you start a lawnmower sir i was 12 once and my mom made me mow the lawn that i can do we've all been there for that one (laughs) that i can do now he just asks keith to come out and start it for him exactly or i have keith do it himself that's true that's alex ferrario i'm brandon kiley it is bk and ferrario on 101 espn Coming up next, I do want to play a bit of audio for you guys because earlier today I was listening to um, the morning show and I think Keith might have texted into the show. So we'll get into that coming up here in about 15 minutes or so. But coming up next, the free agency market is finally taking shape and I do think it could have some implications for the Cardinals. That's coming up on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. I do think there's going to be a rash of moves in the next 10 days based on my conversations with teams and with agents uh, where the feeling is, is that, look, once you get through the arbitration process in the next couple days, the teams will begin to focus on upgrading their rosters. I think in the next week you're going to see a ton of players sign 
That was Buster only on with us last week. He seems like a fortune teller now. He was absolutely correct. DJ LeMayhew off the market decides to stick with New York. Now, last night, George Springer signs with the Toronto Blue Jays. Six years, $150 million for him with the Toronto Blue Jays. There were some reports earlier today that we thought there was going to be another outfielder heading out there with him. Uh, that no longer is a guarantee. But right Buster now, Buster Damas, BK. That's right. Look at that. DJ LeMahieu, George Springer, both <laughs> off the board. It feels like we're starting to see the the hot stove actually heating up now. Mm-hmm. We're, we're starting to see baseball. The activity is starting to take place. And with George Springer coming off of the board to the Blue Jays and with DJ LeMahieu going back to the Yankees, I think these are important for St. Louis for this reason. I think it helps you find now where JT Realmuto's suitors are going to fit in. I think we're going to see him go back to the Phillies. I, I think it's going to be really hard for me to find another potential suitor for Realmuto at this point. The Blue Jays could have been one. The Mets could have been one. They've both signed their catchers. The Yankees seem pretty comfortable sticking with uh, Gary Sanchez and with them bringing back LeMahieu. I don't think they have the money to be able to do it right now. So you're basically looking at the Phillies as the team that's going to be able to bring back JT Realmuto. And then, by the way, the Angels just signed Kurt Suzuki over the last week as well. Well, okay. now we've kind of found all of the teams that needed a catcher that could have been suitors for Yadier Molina. And Yachty's still sitting there. Mm -hmm. And I think that means that Yachty's going to be back here in St. Louis. So the George Springer deal, the reason why I think it's important is because it's going to lead to Real Muto signing sooner rather than later. I think he gets a deal done with uh, Philly. And then finally, suddenly, Yachty Ermeline is kind of on the clock. And I think it's going to mean that the best offer from the Cardinals is going to go to Yachty. And I think he's going to probably accept. I think that's going to come here in the next couple of weeks. Let me ask you this then, BK, because how much do you think Real Muto's signing is tied to Yachty. Now, I know in terms of teams that need a catcher are going to be tied to it, but Real Muto is in a different atmosphere than where Yachty's going to be in terms of contract signing. So part of me wonders if his signing really has nothing to do with Yachty because he's going to get money to a couple of teams who are willing to spend that money. The other teams that would be in the Yachty market, I feel like have already made their decisions of we can either get Yachty because Yachty's been sitting there for a while, and Yachty's made it clear that, look, if you give him the right offer, he's going to sign. He's fine moving on from St. Louis if he has to. So I wonder, does that carry out even longer for Yachty or Molina, even after JT signs? You remember watching The Last Dance over the summer uh-huh. with the Michael Jordan documentary? So there was a scene in that where before a playoff game, I think it was George Carl, um, was in a restaurant, and Michael Jordan went to that same restaurant, and Michael thought he perceived he... He inferred that George Carl said something that wasn't actually said at dinner that night. Right. And he took it personally and he used that as motivation for him in the next game. It was a perceived slight. It wasn't a real slight, but that was Michael Jordan's perception of it. That's where I think Yachty is with this. Yachty or Molina believes that JT Real Muto's market could potentially have an impact on Yachty or Molina's market. Does it actually? No, no, I think you're right. I don't know that the two, that the two are in the same market at all. But it doesn't matter what I think. Doesn't matter what you think. Doesn't matter what the Cardinals think. Well, it matters thinks. what Yadier Molina thinks. And if he believes that he's going to have a bigger or a better or a more clear picture of what his market is after Real Muto signs, then 
that's significant. And yeah. it shows why he is still out there on the open market right now and why he has not decided to re-sign with the Cardinals or sign elsewhere at this point. So I think that's where we are with him. I think it says more about what he views his future as than it does anything else, even if we don't believe that the two are connected. Yeah, uh, and look, I... I... We're still to the point where it looks as if if Yachty's going to be the move, that's going to be the only move for this Cardinals team. And I think that's where at least the Cardinals sit right now, where the offers have been out there. That's the move. And if that's not the move, then they decide to deter to something else, which, frankly, that's going to be closer to spring training. I don't know if when Rio Muto signs, Yachty's going to sign immediately. I think that still is going to be out there. The feelers of St. Louis, you got your options. When other teams come calling, it's going to go back to St. Louis and say, here's what you got. I also think the Brantley deal is significant for the outfield market because although it now looks like the deal is not on the way that we thought, um, Michael Brantley, did I say Michael Brantley earlier? Yeah. The George Springer deal is significant for the outfield market. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. Uh, Michael Brantley does not have a deal yet with the Toronto Blue Jays, but it was reported that they were close. So I'm going to assume that he's close to a deal, whether it be with Toronto or elsewhere. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to see more of these here in the next few days. These corner outfield DH types. Michael Brantley is certainly one. We all have talked so much about all of the other options that are out there. Jack Peterson being another. I think we're going to start seeing some dominoes fall on that market as well. Once you see the top guy go, that typically allows the rest of the market to follow suit. The problem this offseason that the top of the market hasn't signed for the most part up until right. the last couple of days. I'm surprised that more of the market did move when Kyle Schwarber signed because George Springer is in a, again, atmosphere of his own standing. But then beyond that, I mean, who are the free agents still when it comes to outfit? You got Eddie Rosario, Jock, Jock Peterson. Peterson. Um, there might be another name that I'm forgetting right now. Jerks and Profar is kind of a guy that can do the yeah. jack of all trades. But that's kind of why when Schwarber signed for that one year and $10 million, that's why I thought you'd see, okay, Rosario's going to sign now because that market has been set, right? It feels George Springer and JT Real Muto, those two markets, Trevor Bauer as well, those three markets are their own entity. And then from there, you have that second tier of markets. Um, so it, hopefully that's the case because – when offseason starts to heat up, that's when people start to get a lot more excited about their teams. But, you know, does George Springer's six-year, $150 million contract change things for Peterson or Rosario? I don't know in terms of money, but maybe it'll get teams to start spending. I, yeah, I don't think it changes anything in terms of what they're going to get. I think it makes it more clear who the suitors are for yeah. those teams. Because once you have the Blue Jays out of the market, especially if they end up being able to sign Brantley, now they're out of the market for t- for guys like Jock Peterson, right? Yeah. And so you get a more clear picture if you're Peterson, who your suitors potentially could be. And I think that's what's significant about this, is now you're going to start seeing some dominoes fall. And when, when we talked about um, some of the other guys, Schwarber, for instance, mm-hmm. I think you saw certain teams that were specifically targeting a player. The Royals specifically targeted Carlos Santana early in the offseason, right? The Braves very clearly specifically targeted Smiley and a couple of pitchers that were out there available. That's that's what's changed now. Now we're starting to get to the no more trickle down of, okay, now we're just starting to see positions right. that are targeted as opposed to players. And I think that's, that's going to be the next step for this off season. And I think that it, it could potentially have a big fat impact on the Cardinals. Who do the Mets rotate to now? Because we all assumed the that's Mets and question. George Springer were together and, Frankly, you lose him. I mean, do they go to an Eddie Rosario? Do they do a Jock? I don't know if Jock Peterson's who they want. If Eddie, if George Springer was the guy, 
I don't know if Jock Peterson's the same one that you're really hoping that can change your team. I wonder if they kind of sit back a little bit and see what becomes available. They've been connected with Brad Hand. They've been connected with some of the other top relievers that are out there on the open market. I wonder if the next big player, because kind of the last big one out there to sign is Trevor Bauer. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll see what happens with him. I know there was some buzz about him potentially landing with the Mets early in the offseason. I don't know if that is still an option for them, yeah. but he, him uh, and Brad Hand would be the two that I would look at for the Mets. I think those are the two guys. Available. It's just unfair. If you think of the Mets and Padres with a pitching rotation, if Bauer goes to the Mets, you got the Padres with what you Darvish, Blake Snell, um, uh, D- Dillison, Lamette. Yep. And then who was the other guy that paddock? Did? Yeah. And then on the flip side, you got the, the Mets with Syndergaard, DeGrom, Stroman, and then throw in a freaking Trevor Bauer. Yeah. It, it could just be really, screams really good. Washington Nationals when they went on to win it all. The 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 National League at the top, the top four teams, uh, Padres, Dodgers, Braves, and Mets are going to be really, really <laughs> not good not even fair. Year. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It is BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. We're going to play a game of Are We Sure coming up next, including... Are we sure my future father-in-law didn't text into the morning show earlier today? We'll let you hear that audio coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line for Are We Sure? Let's start with this one. So I was listening to the morning show earlier today, Alex Ferrario. Okay. And they do something called Ask Uncle Randy. Mm-hmm. Did it today. I think it was at like 7.15. It's a early morning routine that they do. I tuned it on, turned it on as I was kind of getting ready today. Just listening to it. I think my future mother-in-law actually might have been texting in oh, yeah? to the show. Yeah. So I'm going to go ahead and play this audio for you. This was on Carriker and Smallman earlier today as they were asking for text from the audience for Ask Uncle Randy. Okay, here's a great one, Randy from 618. Dear Uncle Randy, my son still lives at home. I love him dearly, but I'm sick of cooking for him and cleaning up after him. He's staying at home to save for his own place and we're in a pandemic, so I'm happy to have him close, but my husband and I are worried he may never leave. Any advice? Do we set a firm timetable for him to get out or just hope he makes this move on his own? All right, I'll answer this are question sure right that now. That wasn't my future mother. That was 100%. That was that was Mrs. Keith. That's who this was. Mrs. That's Keith. Mrs. Keith. Unfortunately, I don't know her, her first name, so I'm going to go with Mrs. Keith. I like That's that. That's fair. We'll, uh, we'll stick with that. I mean, let's... Well, the first, let me ask you this. Let me do a little Sherlock Holmes sure. work here. Does... Your mother-in-law referred to you as a son. No, and that's why I was going to say I, I think it wasn't her. So she doesn't I'm, refer I, to you I that way. I think I am in the clear here. Okay. I will say when I first heard it, I was like, whoa, that sounds oddly specific. Because if this is if <laughs> familiar, if, if I was, if this was the flip scenario and I was in your shoes, my mother-in-law does refer to me as her son. And, and so she would she, also know that you wouldn't be using the restroom at her house. That's very true. So technically she wouldn't have to clean up after me true. because I could do it myself. Do you not clean up after yourself over at uh, I'd like house? to think I'm pretty clean, but you know, I mean, you, you seem like the kind of guy that when he walks in the front door, he kind of kicks the tennis shoes off. Well, yeah, I mean, to keep the and carpet you just, clean and you everything. Just, you, you just know? leave them there so people Until can the trip next over day. 
That's that's trash, BK. You need to find yourself a nice cubby area where you can put those tennis shoes so that Mr. and Mrs. Keith do not trip over those shoes. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line for Are We Sure? All right, let's go to this one. Are we sure that teams this offseason are going to be as excited about re-signing their young quarterbacks after what they've seen from Jared Goff and Carson Wentz after they signed their extension? So the teams that would typically be looking to get a deal done with their young quarterbacks right now, based on kind of where they are in their careers, mm-hmm. be the Cleveland Browns with Baker Mayfield, the Jets with Sam Darnold, although I don't think that's even going to be a conversation. The Bills with Josh Allen and the Ravens with Lamar Jackson. So Baker, uh, Allen, Lamar, those would be the three that would typically be be looking at extensions this offseason. Are we sure that their teams are going to be comfortable doing so after what we've seen from Goff and Wentz, though? 100% yes, because the Wentz and the Goff scenarios are two different places for me. Wentz. If Wentz hadn't dealt with all of his injuries, and look, I I am the one that just destroys Wentz every once in a while, but if he doesn't deal with his injuries that he dealt with, you might be looking at a guy who's still playing at an MVP-type level. Jared Goff has been great, but I think we can all agree Jared Goff was helped along the way with the running game, the receiver game, Sean McVay, and of course Aaron Donald in that defense. But if you look at the three that you just mentioned, Baker Mayfield, I mean, if I'm Cleveland, hell yeah, I'm signing him right now. Because really? He's, he's been sensational this year. You've had what? Since he's been in the league, one bad year? Mm-hmm. Because that first season, he was one of the top rookies, correct? Broke the touchdown record for rookie quarterbacks. I'm signing him immediately. Right now, I have found the dynamic duo in Buffalo with Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs. And Stephon Diggs has grown from his first year to his second year. And the third one was what? Lamar Jackson, uh-huh. you said? Lamar Jackson, but I mean, an MVP type level. He's just kind of falling into the category of not having the weapons around him. Those three that you mentioned, if I'm the ownership, I'm signing right now. Wow, that's interesting. I would only feel comfortable signing Josh Allen this offseason. Yeah. I'll go one more year of Lamar. I don't want to lock myself into a long-term deal with him yet before I can find out if he really can figure this thing out with the passing game. What makes you concerned about Baker, though? (laughs) I think Baker's fine. I need to find out if Baker is special. And if Baker is not special, I'm not going to pay him in that same category. Like Josh, Jared Goff at a time we thought was fine. We There was a point in time when we thought Jared Goff was pretty similar to how we feel right now about Baker Mayfield. Same thing for Carson Wentz. There was a time when we felt really good about Carson Wentz. I need to find out if what we saw, especially the second half of this year, was real from Baker. Can he elevate those around him consistently? If he can, if this is going to work moving forward, then after another year, we can talk extension. I'm not willing to do that just yet. Not not now. I think they can get there, but not right now for me. The only guy that I would be super comfortable with is Josh Allen. And I know that sounds crazy because I've had my questions about Josh Allen, but I, I'm pretty comfortable with him as my franchise quarterback moving forward. See, the, the, I'm surprised by that because I would think you'd look at it that differently. Josh Allen, I feel like may some people be hesitant because he's been this way because of Stephon Diggs, right? Like last year, he didn't have Diggs and he was an average quarterback. Baker Mayfield has had the same receiving core his entire time with the Cleveland Browns. He's had Jarvis Landry. He's had OBJ. He's had this young unit. They're building around him. Whereas Buffalo, they've added the piece to him, and he's kind of been placed into that scenario. I don't know. I, I, maybe Josh if, Allen, though, was an MVP candidate this year. Baker Mayfield was just fine. But, but was Josh Allen an MVP candidate because of Stephon Diggs? That's the question I would ask. Maybe, but they're, they're going to be paired now. 
Stefan Diggs is going to be there long term. I know that those two are going to yeah. be there for the future together, right? Whereas in in Cleveland, I I've, I still need to see if there is more upside from Baker Mayfield. He, you're just saying this because he couldn't beat Chad Henney. Yeah, well, that's part of it. No, he's just he's in a situation very similar to Jared Goff in L.A., where that's a very quarterback friendly system. What they had this year with Stefanski and he looked solid with it. I, I never watched a game. where it was like Baker Mayfield really took that game over. He, he was the guy that willed them to victory. It was their offensive line. It was their uh, running game. And Baker Mayfield also happened to play a part in it. Right. That was the that was the thing with Jared Goff whenever they went to the Super Bowl. Jared Goff was along for the ride. He made some good throws. His weapons certainly elevated his play, but it was mostly about what was around Jared Goff. And the running game was the driving force behind their success. I view Baker, Jared Goff, Jimmy Garoppolo. There's they're all kind of in this same category for me of look pretty average i need to see them elevate their game another level for me to really feel comfortable paying them at the 25 plus million dollars per season level yeah six five seven eight oh is the air comfort service tax line for are we sure from the 314 guys are we sure that the cardinals are actually going to get involved in the free agent market next offseason i agree with randy that the answer is no because the lockout is pending Uh, The actions now to cut the payroll and not take any more proves that to me. So are we sure that the Cardinals are actually going to get involved in the free agent market next offseason, Ferrario? No, I'm not sure. Uh, You know, I I can see Randy's perspective here with the lockout upcoming. And I don't know if the Cardinals are treating this offseason of, oh, well, the lockout's next year. Like no team is going to run their organization under that mindset. Um but I also look at it and look at the way that Michelle Smallman had the action of her Twitter poll last week of if people would buy tickets, the Cardinals really didn't do anything. A lot of people said no. And I think the Cardinals understand that the Cardinals do see the fact that people are frustrated that they haven't made any offseason moves. So, no, I'm not sure about this because I can see both sides. I'm, I'm BK on the fence with this one. I think the Cardinals could dip their toe into this next offseason, but I also think they could say, no, nope, you know what? We don't we don't know what's going to happen. So did you answer the question? I didn't. Yes, I did. Are we sure? No, I am not sure. <gasps> Said it three times, BK. I'm pretty sure they're going to get in the mix on next year's free agent mix or next year's free agent pool. I think they know that this is not good enough and what they what fans have seen over the last few years here's a question for you to kind of go along with this what do you think the approval rating is right now among cardinals fans for the cardinals like if you asked if you pulled the cardinals fan base right now and said do you approve of the job that the cardinals are doing right now what do you think the approval rating, kind of like a presidential terms, how they've got the, the approval rating? Mm-hmm. What do you think that would be of the St. Louis Cardinals right now from the fan base? This is just from the fan base. I would say it's going to hover around 50%, probably less than that. I was thinking like 30 to 35, somewhere in yeah. that mix. I think there's a core group of people that are always going to be Cardinals fans that believe that the team is doing right by them think that the blues though if you ask that same question would be around 90 or 95 percent and so oh, yeah when you look at it that way i think the blues would be 100 percent, frankly very well maybe <laughs> i think there's a certain core group of people that just are never never totally, happy never truly satisfied but yeah. when you look at it through that prism i think it shows you 
if the fan base really is that low on the team, the organization can feel that and they're going to see that, whether it be through social media or the TV ratings or it, fingers crossed when they get fans in the stands. I think they're going to react to it in a way next offseason where they show the fan base, okay, we've heard you. We understand where you're coming from. This has not been good enough. We wanted a year to figure out what our outfield looked like. Now we're going to give you a little bit more certainty in the lineup going yeah. into 2022. So I'm I'm pretty confident that the Cardinals are going to go out into the offseason next year and get something big for you, the fan A couple base. of people already texted in here. Comfort Service text on 6570, putting it around 30%. So you're right, BK. I, I mean, think it's, uh, it's going to hover less than 50% without question, but 30% seems a little low, but I guess I understand where Cardinals fans are coming from. Yeah, I think it's about as low as it's been and as long as I can remember. Yeah, I don't remember a time when it has been this low where Cardinals fans have been this frustrated. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It is BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, we're going to talk to our guy, Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues. What's he expecting in tonight's game? What does he want to see from Sammy Blay in his return to action? We'll talk about that with Chris Kerber coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. pass along from the NFL as well according to the Pro Football Writers Association they have named Aaron Rodgers their 2020 MVP what this is not the NFL MVP that is named by the AP that is the one that they view as the true quote unquote MVP of the season but Pro oh, Football so- Writers typically name the same one as the AP no Josh Allen's going to be the MVP of the NFL now now that Aaron Rodgers got the AP one it would be a very big surprise if Aaron Rodgers is not also named AP MVP of the season so there's your news from the NFL. Right now, though, let's go out to the Brown and Crippen Celebrity Line. Happy to be joined by the voice of the Blues. He is Chris Kerber joining us here on the show. Kerbs, always appreciate the time, man. How you doing today? BK, doing really good. How are you? Uh, doing all right. So we're excited to watch this one between the Blues and the Sharks tonight. Pre-game coverage begins on 101 ESPN at 7 o'clock. I think the number one thing most fans are going to be looking for in this game, Curbs, and you've probably heard plenty about this, is the special teams, whether it be the power play or the penalty kill. I I feel pretty good about the power play. They've gotten some really good opportunities on it. They just haven't gone in. Let's talk about the penalty kill a little bit here. What do you think so far this season? What have you seen that has gone wrong for that unit? Uh, it's just, I think it's just the, the new personnel. Now, Oscar Sundquist said, we've got some of the same guys, but there's more minutes now for guys than there was before that. I think there's a difference going out there. If you were on that second penalty kill or maybe the third penalty kill rotation and who you're going up against versus, you know, always going out against the top. So I think they're missing the likes of Steen, Bowmeister and Petrangelo, and obviously the shot blocking ability right now, of Robert Bortuzzo with him on IR. But the biggest thing that you look at is they're, they're too spread out. They're, they are trying, uh, not slowing down the other team in the neutral zone. Uh, they're giving in the blue line way too much. That's allowing them set up. Oscar Sundquist's comment I thought was great. He said, we're showing too much respect to both Colorado and San Jose's power play. We need to be more aggressive. That's something that was echoed by Craig Berube. So I think some tighter play, some quicker reads, and then guys, it really the stick work is something that, has to improve to the difference in just being able to glance a shot off the stick, deflect a shot with your stick, deny a pass with your stick that allows you to jump on it is a huge key here. So I think those three things. The one thing I'm sensing, though, Brandon, is the fact that like none of the penalty, like you, depending on who you talk to, none of them are, are 
even remotely worried about it right now. They're like, yeah, no, we, we know it hasn't gone well these first few games, but we got the personnel. It's just working through some of the issues. And so there's, there's still a high level of confidence on it. Uh, Curbs, uh, we heard from Craig Berube during that, that Zoom with the media after practice today that there's a potential we could see Sammy Blay back into the lineup. Of course, he's been suspended these last two games. Is this more just trying to get more of a look at Sammy Blay because you want to keep everyone fresh, or do you feel like there's somebody in the lineup that just needs a day off? No, uh, I, I think it's a little early for the day off thing, uh, but having said that, you know, Sammy Blake coming off that suspension, I think uh, Craig Berube liked what he saw in game number one. And I think part of this is if he's in there for Kyle Clifford, he wants him to he, he wants him to just keep going. And, and I think it's just about getting a younger player in and, and getting him going, especially, you know, I, I don't think the team agreed with the decision to, with the suspension. And and so I think this is one of those, OK, you served your suspension. Now let's get right back in there and get after it. So. I think those are more of the deciding factors than anything else if, if, when that decision gets made. We're talking to Chris Kerber, voice of the Blues, here on 101 ESPN. Kerbs, I do have a question, kind of a big picture sense about the Blues. How far do you feel like we need to get into the season before we have a real sense of what this team is? Because obviously the answer is not three games. It's not going to be four games after tonight, especially given how strange of an offseason this has been. But how far do you think we need to get into the year before we have a real grasp of what this team truly is? Well, you know what? I, I'd have to look at that 10-game mark as possibly something. Something that it doesn't matter what coaches that we've talked to over the years. They seem to think that's between the 20 to 30-game mark when you really start to have a good, uh, a real good, you know, I guess, sample of what the personality and the makeup of your team is going to be. So, I can't imagine why that number would be any different just because the schedule are scheduled fewer games. But I do think the nature of how these games are going to go, these series are actually, it's, it's changing some of the approach a little bit, believe it or not. So I, I think maybe you have to get to that sooner. The challenge is you didn't have the preseason games. You didn't have any warmups here. You can tell the guys' hands are not quite uh, up to speed with their minds in terms of what they want to do and what they could normally do with the puck. And then, like I mentioned, the dynamic of these second games, we talked to Barubi about it this morning. A team that loses the first game doesn't want to lose two in a row. And it used to be like if you lost a game, say, in Chicago and a road trip continued and you were on your way to Columbus, you're like, okay, well, you don't want to lose two in a row, but you're facing a completely different opponent. There's something different to it. This, you're playing the team that you just played the night before. And or the day before, depending on whether it's back to back or have a day off in between, and and that creating these little series things where you've got to match the intensity of the other team, and you know exactly what you're going to get. And so, you know, players today were talking about being more physical, being harder on the puck, fewer turnovers, those kind of those kind of things. And I think if the Blues learned anything from the first two games in Colorado, is how they need to approach Game Two now against San Jose. I, I think. I think you need to approach the second game of each one of these series much more like you would a playoff series versus just another regular season game. That's the vibe I'm getting from guys on this. Curbs, I haven't had the opportunity to ask you about this, but I am curious. Craig Berube went back from the the lines we saw in the first two games to kind of a pairings matchup, you know, having O'Reilly and Perron and Shannon Schwartz and Thomas with a, a Hoffman or a, a Bozak. Do you like the idea of doing that pairings with this forward group, or would you rather see it that kind of top-heavy, top-six matchup? No, I, what I like about what he's done here, Alex, is 
But Braden Shen has played better for the St. Louis Blues as a center than he has on the wing. Right. And so when you try to put Robert Thomas at center, you have to make a decision if he's going to play in a top six role. Is he going to play at center on the top line, or is he going to play at center on the second line? Well, he's not taking Ryan O'Reilly's spot. That mm-hmm. we know. So I think what they did was it, it forced a little bit more imbalance in the line than they really wanted. It had some guys playing where maybe they just aren't quite as comfortable. I think by doing this, it brought back some of the familiarity, and I think it showed in the game. Look, the five-on-five play of the St. Louis Blues last game I thought was really, really good. I mean, nope. I know they were down 2 nothing in the first period, but there was a lot to like. And Craig Berube said that might have been their overall best period of the season, and yet they were still trailing 2 to nothing by the end of it. So having said that, I think that this just gives you an opportunity to put Shen back there, give, keeps, puts Robert Thomas at center, puts him with a guy he knows and has played a lot of hockey with in Tyler Bozak. I, it actually adds, I think, a little more balance to the lineup and, and just makes sense. It just... Uh, Putting, putting Robert at Tom, Thomas at center, you've got to get Shen to the wing and because you're not going to reduce Shen's minutes right now by putting him in the third-line role. So it, it, it just works better, I think, for the personalities and how guys want to play. Chris Kerber, voice of the Blues, joining us here on 101 ESPN. Curbs, I thought Jeremy Rutherford had a tremendous story over on The Athletic earlier today, talking with both Tom Stillman and Doug Armstrong about how the Blues became a team that spins to the cap every year. And that's what we expect them to do at this point every season. And now this year, I mean, even in a pandemic season when they have very little, if any, revenue coming in from gate revenue when the fans are in the stands, they're still not only spending two, but above the cap with cash because of the long-term IR money that they're spending. And he got some great quotes from Stillman and Armstrong about how that came to be. I wanted to ask you your perspective on this, Curves, because you've been around this organization for a long time now. How have you seen that develop over the year with Stillman and Armstrong? And how much credit do they deserve for doing this? Well, I, I look, this ownership group, I think, deserves all the credit to they they knew what they needed to do, and they said, look, if there are extra dollars around, it's going into the product for the fans, which is hockey ops, considering that you're spending right up against the cap. And, look, they're going to spend over the cap this year. Okay, Now, it may not count towards the cap, but because of the injury to Alexander Steen, Tarasenko, how they, they're going to spend more than the $81.5 million. And maybe I think fans need to understand that. To do that in a year where revenue is is drastically cut, drastically cut, um, is just immense. And I think Blues fans, especially those that have been long and around long enough, to know of the different financial challenges that so many different ownership groups of this team have dealt with. And we've had to see future Hall of Famers and potential Stanley Cup opportunities go by the wayside because uh, of, of not wanting to pay players more, whether it be Mike Lee, Ute, Adam Oates, and, and just go on down the line. Um, I, I think that whether the results end up there in championships, you know that all the effort is going to be there to give them the best opportunity to do it. The role of Doug Armstrong, I don't know that there's been a better manager in the last few years that has managed the cap, manages free agency, manages his, has managed his, unrestricted, his restricted free agents as well as Doug has done. But what's also happened over the years is Doug and Tom have really developed a relationship. And and that relationship's an important one, where at the beginning, Doug would get asked questions by Tom. And at times, you know, for Doug, it felt like just, you know, the owner being a fan. And Tom explained to, to, or Tom Stillman explained to Doug, no, I've I've got other owners. 
I, if, if I get questioned, I want to be able to answer some of their questions as well. And that created a different di- type of dialogue between the two. And it's working very, very well. There's a great level of trust. There's a great level of understanding. And look, the results speak for themselves uh, very clearly here. So it's, it's, it's been a terrific relationship, I think, between those two. Doug has every opportunity, every resource that he needs, including a new practice rink to help recruit players. And, uh, and, and this ownership group, you could tell, is just 100% committed to giving this city and this region the NHL team that it deserves. And the results are, are, are proof in the pudding right now. Curbs, we've seen, my final question for you, we've seen the NHL come out and say that they're going to take back or take a step back with this puck tracking that they were hoping to accomplish this season. And Ryan O'Reilly had a great comment about it after practice today. He was asked if he noticed the, the, the puck, track, puck tracking changes and he said, well, puck wasn't going in for me, so maybe it'll start going in tonight. Or should we put our money down on, on Riley scoring some goals because of the, the puck tracking being gone? Okay, this is, this is really um, it's a funny topic right now. So the league comes out yesterday and said uh, the pucks with the chips in it that they were, that they were using uh, throughout, uh, you know, throughout camps and things like that, they're not going to use them anymore. They're actually going to go back to the 1920 game pucks and start using those. So Craig Berube got asked that question in his media scrum. He goes, I, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> and then Ryan O'Reilly got asked. He cracked the joke about, well, yeah, I'm glad they did it because the other ones weren't going in for me. Oscar Sundquist was asked a question about it. And he go, they go, they go, like, who's, do you know who would complain about him? And Sundquist quipped that maybe it was David Perron. Like, I mean, these guys had no clue that there was a difference with the puck. At least the ones that we talked to, and obviously we couldn't get to everybody today. But no, so I find that it is kind of interesting. So somewhere along the line, they realized things might be a little bit different. Our guys, including the coaches, were totally oblivious to it. So the cool thing is, is when they get it going, the 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 enhanced stats that, that fans are going to be able to see and understand, I think, are going to really show a different appreciation for the game of hockey. But as far as, I mean, our guys were just, it, it got funny because you're like, well, I think it's a good question to keep asking in case somebody actually did recognize a difference. But so far, everybody that we've talked to, none of them. They're like, uh, yeah, we don't even know what you're talking about. He's Chris Kerber, voice of the Blues. You can hear him tonight on the call. Pre-game coverage with Alex Ferrario for Blues versus Sharks begins at 7 o'clock puck, puck drop with Kerbs and Joey Vitale coming up at 8. Kerbs, always appreciate the time, man. We'll talk with you again soon. All right, fellas, have a great game day. Talk to you a little later. Sounds good. That is Chris Kerber joining us here on 101 ESPN. We'll cross things over with the fast lane coming up next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It is BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Crossing things over with the fast lane. If you missed any of our show today, 101ESPN.com. The free 101 ESPN app is where you find it. It is all presented by I Promise. Crossing things over with BT. What's going on, man? Not much, man. Did you guys have a fun show today? Had a fantastic show today. Really good stuff from Corey Hirsch, former NHL goalie, talking about Jordan Bennington and what this schedule is like for goalies. He said not a whole lot different. Okay. It's, uh, it's kind of just your usual thing. So I I was surprised by that. I thought we would see a lot more of Ville Husso at some point, but it seems like they're kind of riding Jordan Bennington well, early on. I guess right now you have uh, you have the separation, right? And maybe they saw enough of 
Huso already. Uh, I made the comp the other day uh, of uh, Ville Huso in that game that he had the other day. It was four goals and eight shots, right? Uh-huh. Like, hey, like everybody has a bad day. I made the comp to him and Roel Ramirez yes. at the same guy. <laughs> yeah. I was like, ah, all right, not exactly what I expected. Hopefully the future is brighter, though, for Huso. Well, Hopefully yeah, he stays he around for a while. for assignment, so uh, that one's there. You know the one thing that, that I find interesting, I, I think I'll ask Jamie a little bit about this later, but I, I wonder when you're playing all these back-to-backs, and th- this goes into the goalie conversation, too, like where the advantage lies. Like, do you see tendencies a little bit more in these games? Or do you pick up on stuff? Or, or is the coach that is uh, uh, big into, like, strategizing and making adjustments, does that guy have an advantage? Because I, I think there's got to be something with all these back-to-backs. Jamie, more than anybody that I've ever met in my life, picks up on those things. And I don't know if you were the same way, BT, with hitters in the box where they would have a tell. I I don't know. But Jamie can watch a Cardinals game and he'll find a tell from the pitcher. Like he'll, he'll, he'll see it for whatever reason. I think it's just maybe you have that same sixth sense as he does. So I would imagine there's got to be something like that where they find tendencies like, hey, this guy's really going to when he does X, Y and Z, I know exactly what move he's going to next. Or you start feeling that as you get through these. Maybe not so much early in the year when we're doing these two-game sets, but later on, I know the Blues have a couple three-game sets, and then they've got a four-game series against the Wild. And that one, I feel like you'll definitely start to see it a little bit towards the end. Yeah, I would think so. And like anything else, I think the the smart players are the ones that pick up on stuff like that or are able to pick up on stuff like that and not just pick up on it, but take advantage of it. Like if you see a little something, uh, it's going to be the little stuff. And it always is in a season. Like we focus on the big things. How many points did a guy have? How many goals did the guy have? But like the little stuff leads to situations like that. So we'll see. I think that's a, that part of it is going to be interesting. Was Corey Hirsch high on Bennington this year? He was. Yeah, he feels good. He. He said what we've all kind of said, which is Bennington just set the standard too high. He set the standard so high in that first year that everybody expects him to be able to return to that. He's like, that's totally unsustainable. No goalie, unless you're a Hall of Famer, is going to be at that level forever. So I think he brought a little bit of realism to the conversation, which was good. I did want to ask you, because earlier today we found out Rivers is hanging it up, and I'm sure you guys will talk a little bit about... He quit again? I should probably specify here. Philip Rivers, with one L, has decided to hang it up. He's going to retire. When I think about Philip Rivers as a Chiefs fan myself, and I know you as a lifelong Raiders fan uh, can speak to this as well, I hated going up against that dude because he was just the ultimate competitor. And I mean, the mic'd ups are never going to be able to be the same without hearing his trash talk where he doesn't cuss in any of Gosh, them. Darn it. I'm going to miss that guy. But God, I hated going up against him. Well, I, I think those are the ones that you you miss the most, right? The the competitors. And even like from from playing, the guys that you always hated playing against end up being like the best guys. And that, that's the, the case with Rivers. And they're losing a big-time competitor. We've got so much talent in the NFL right now, and there are so many you know young gun or athletic quarterbacks out there. But he was a throwback. And we'll see. Like We'll see what this next uh, next field of quarterbacks do. Will they have a 17-year career like like some of these guys have had, will they approach some of the passing numbers uh, Philip Rivers had? I mean, he shoots 64,000 yards damn near for him. So um, I, I wonder with that. 
It's. Uh, I thought he'd be back. Honestly, I, I really thought that he was going to come back for one situation. more year. You know who I feel bad for, BK? I feel bad for the poor sob who's currently coaching this high school in Alabama. <laughs> who Philip Rivers has just been openly talking about taking over the job. That's who I feel bad. I for. feel bad for us, the viewers of football, because it. If he's going to go do that, I would imagine he's not going to be on the broadcast on Sunday. I think he would be amazing on these telecasts. Like if he were to take the Tony Romo route and go straight into the broadcast booth, I think next year he would be one of the four or five best color analysts that we have in the business. Look, give him a year at home with his 17 kids and Good chances point. are he might venture out and he might take a gig over the weekend. BT, what's coming up today on the fast well, lane? Man? We're going to talk about all kinds of fun stuff. We'll break down the blues. We'll get into some of the conversation we were having a second ago with Jamie Rivers. Uh, we've got uh, Derek Johnson coming up. Uh, oh, nice. DJ. Yeah, we got, we got him coming up today at four o'clock talking about Philip Rivers going up against that guy. What was it like? What was the trash talk like? Uh, how hard did he hit him? Uh, we got all kinds of fun stuff coming up today. I'm interested. Uh, so last week, Barnes, you'll certainly remember this. Um, Baker Mayfield caught his own pass. That was not the first time we've seen that as Chiefs fans. It also happened against Tennessee. Mariotto. It went much more poorly that time around than it did this time around. I wonder if he had a little PTSD whenever he saw that. I'd be curious about that. That's coming up from 2 to 6. We'll be back tomorrow at 11 right here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast powered by I Promise.